The Las Vegas Raiders have partnered with the global lifestyle app TrueConnect to give the gift of wellness. Transform your mind, body, and soul through thousands of hours of premium fitness content, guided meditations, progress tracking, and more. Visit tcfree.fit to redeem one free year of TrueConnect exclusively for Raider Nation. Welcome to the Raiders Press Pass, your credential to all things silver and black. Thank you guys all for for hopping on here. Um, I, I got to say, just really grateful that there's, um, you know, there's so much passion and so much interest when it comes to the draft. It, it's awesome to see it continue to grow every year. Uh, you guys are a big reason for that. I know the fans love it. And you guys do a great job of covering it and um, bringing a lot of attention to it. So first of all, I just want to thank you for being here. Um, this is going to be, a, I think it's going to be a fun draft. There's a lot unknown. We've got... Uh, you know, unlike last year, we've got some name brand quarterbacks um, that people are familiar with, that people have seen, that people have very strong opinions on. Um, I think the league is is very split on uh, on those guys. We'll get into that, I'm sure, uh, throughout the call here. Uh, but I, I think this is a year where, again, you're going to see some players that are 12 or 13 on on one team's board and they might be 53 on another team's board which is uh there's a lot of variance of opinion um and there's uh you know there's going to be some um you know there's gonna be some fascinating storylines to follow as we go towards the draft in terms of overall strength of the draft i think it's a really good corner group i think it's a uh, it's a good edge rusher group um i think the tight end group is, is the best i've uh, i've seen in the last 10 years it's outstanding um so you know running backs is really solid it's it's a it's a fun draft at some of those positions um you know the the quarterbacks as i mentioned are going to be a big storyline i don't think the wide receiver group is quite what we've seen in the few in the in the years uh recently here um but uh anyways it's it's deep at some positions for sure so i'll uh, i won't spend any more of your guys time i'll just open it up and uh, let andrew get this thing started thanks again for being here thanks dj we will now begin the Q&A portion of today's call. I've seen a lot of people do this already, but just to confirm, if you would like to ask a question, please use the raise hand function and we will take questions in that manner. Our first question comes from Justin Rogers. Justin, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, I think, uh, you know, if the Lions stick at number six, the, the perception is positional value-wise, edge rushers, the way they would go. I think that's the way you had them go in your most recent mock. So I'm, I'm curious if you can, Maybe tell me the the difference, the separators between Miles Murphy, Tyree Wilson, and I guess you want to include him in that conversation, Van Ness. Yeah, for me, it would be Tyree Wilson, um, you know, by a pretty significant margin. Uh, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of buzz around him around the league. I think the the league has it with him and Anderson a lot closer than people might think. Um, he's He's got just freakish wingspan and, uh, and burst and... Uh, the ability to kind of use those long levers to get home. I think he's a really talented rusher. I think he's a big time athlete. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get to see him do anything at the combine coming off the injury that he's had. So we probably have to wait till the pro day on that one. But for me, it would be him. Uh, Miles Murphy is a tricky one because it's all in there. He has it all in his body. He hasn't got it all figured out just yet. Um, but between his kind of his combination of length and explosiveness, um, yeah, I think there's, there's more there. I think he's going to develop more as a rusher. I don't think he has a great plan at this point in time. And then Van Ness is, uh, you know, I'm going to end up moving him up in my next update of my top 50. I think I have him at 22 right now. Um, again, I, 
it was curious when you're watching him because he doesn't start. And I know a lot of people are sitting there going, how in the world are you going to take a guy in the top 10? He didn't start at Iowa. Uh, but I had a chance to do my homework on that. And look, they, that's just the way their program runs. They're going to run with the, the, uh, the older upperclassmen, the leaders that have been in those spots. They're just going to, they're going to roll those guys out there with starters, even though everybody knows this was their best guy. Um, but he's got big time, big time explosiveness and power um, kind of a bull in a China shop. Again, somebody who's just figuring out, but when you watched him against the best tackles he played against, he got after him. So I, I think that is is closer to me. What I'm getting at is going to be Murphy and Van Ness is pretty close to me. I would have Tyree Wilson uh, ahead of those two guys. Thanks, DJ. Yep. Next question comes from Dan Wiederer. Dan, you may ask your question. DJ, thanks for doing this. Obviously, the uh, the draft starts with the Bears, uh, and they're in an intriguing spot here to try to to maximize what they do with that number one pick. If you were in Ryan Poles' shoes, what would you map out as kind of your plan A, best case scenario? And, and how would you, uh, when considering trades back, figure out where to draw your line on how far you'd be willing to go down? Well, I'm glad you brought that because we did a little homework on this. Um, my buddy Jack in research, we've been working on this for the last couple of days, and he uh, he kind of spelled it out for me here. If you look at those trades, um, uh, trade-ups for quarterbacks, usually when you look at the trade chart, it's about 120%, give or take, in terms of the trade chart value. You have to pay a premium if you're going to come up for a quarterback, which is you know, great news there for the Bears. So when you kind of you look at some of those previous trades, um, which, by the way, when you look at the names of the quarterbacks that teams have traded up for since 2011, it's Trey Lance, Sam Darnold, Mitchell Trubisky, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, and RG3. So, you know, in other words, don't be so concerned if you're the Bears about trading off of a Hall of Famer and moving back. It hasn't been a great list uh, over the last few years. But when you look at those points, here would be the three trades. If we're going to look at those teams as two, the Texans, four, the Colts, and nine, the Panthers, here would be how that would shake out on the trade chart. So if you're just going to go back uh, to pick number two, you're going to get the uh, – uh, the second pick, the 33rd pick in next year's two, that would be the trade you'd have there uh, with the uh, Texans. If you go to four, you would have, uh, you'd have to give up the, a fourth round pick this year, or, in, or sorry, a fourth round pick in 2024, as well as your the number one overall pick, you would get number four overall, number 35 overall, and a first round pick in 24 and a second round pick in 24. And then if you want to go all the way to nine, you're going to get the ninth pick. You're going to get the number 39 pick and you're going to get a first round in 24 and you're going to get a first round in 25. So when I look at all those halls and I understand you could be trading off of the opportunity to get one of the premier defensive players there at two or four. If you're asking me what I would do, I would be hoping the Carolina Panthers want to pay that price and I'll go to nine and I'll take all those first round picks and, uh, and let's go try and fill some of these needs. So those are the three teams I think that'll be in the mix. And those are the three options. Thank you. Next question comes from Jonathan Alexander. Jonathan, you may ask your question. DJ, thanks for doing this. I wanted to kind of piggyback um, kind of off that question um, covering the Texans and Texans, of course, you know, a lot depends on what the Bears do. Um, let's say they stay pat at, at, at number two. Is is CJ? Do you believe Bryce Young and CJ Stroud is that much of a drop off? Would that would that be considered? How would you feel feel about that as a consolation prize if they ended up getting CJ Stroud instead of Bryce Young? Yeah, I'd be fine with it. I mean, I have I have Bryce Young. Um, I like Bryce Young better on the tape. Um, 
But I think C.J. Stroud's a really good player. And if the price, if you're not comfortable with that price to go up, you know, to get to that number one pick, staying where they are and getting C.J. Stroud, I'd feel just fine about that. I think he's just a pure thrower. Um, you know, the, the big question with him, it's been talked about was, okay, not a lot of off schedule, not a lot, a lot of playmaking, but then all of a sudden you see the, the semifinal game and you're like, dude, where's, where's this been? Um, he showed you, he has that ability and the old scouting adage is if you can do it once you can do it. Um, so, you know, he does have, he does have that ability. Now I think Bryce is just a little, he's a little bit more of a playmaker to me consistently when you watch him. Um, I, I just love his instincts and feel his ability to maneuver within the pocket, I think is better. So I think Bryce Young is a better player. Um, but I, I would not be, uh, I would not be totally bummed if you sat there at two and ended up with CJ Stroud. Our next question comes from Mike Chapel. Mike, you may ask your question. CJ, thank you. This is sort of piggybacking off of, of the last question. The Colts sitting at four. In your mind, is there a big enough gap between your one with Bryce Young and Stroud and, and Levis that you really can't sit there at four and, and get what's left? Or do you need, if you believe Bryce Young is the guy, do you go get him? Yeah, I think if you have the conviction, um, I think if you're the Colts right now, is they've been on this veteran carousel, as you know, for so long, they've got to get off of it. So if you have conviction of who that guy is, I think where their position is an organization, I think it makes sense for them to be maybe more aggressive than Houston would be. Um, if you have that conviction, just go up there and get them. You know, four, there's a lot that can happen. Um, you know, you might have one that you love, one that you really like, and then it it drops off. And nobody knows what order that's in. But I, I would not be comfortable. I would not be sleeping well at night if I was just going to sit and hold tight there at number four. Thank you. Next question comes from Dave Burkett. Dave, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ. Um, saw you had the Lions taking Anthony Richardson uh, at 18. Can you, uh, can you explain why Richardson, you know, why a quarterback, I guess, when golf is coming off the season he had? And then part two of that, you know, I've had, had some fans, I guess, sort of wonder why Richardson goes that high. He's, he's obviously got the raw traits, but maybe he's a little bit of a developmental player like Malik Willis, some people say. So, um, why would he not slide down the draft a little bit further, I guess? Well, I can. I guess I can answer it this way. He's not going to be there when it's all said and done when the Lions pick with their second pick, so it's not going to be a problem. Um, and making calls just around the league, you t the best way to do you know, the quarterback conversation is talk to the teams that don't need one, and then you'll get kind of an accurate feel, just how they evaluate him and what they think. And Anthony Richardson is the, you know, the second quarterback for several teams that I talked to. And, and we can look at the numbers and, you know, I, it doesn't look great on paper and you look at the accuracy and this, that, and the other, he's got elite, elite arm strength. He's a rare athlete. You don't see quarterbacks, you know, running away from LSU with 80 yard touchdown runs. Like he's got big time, big time ceiling, big time ability. And, you know, you can find the games. If you want to fall in love with Anthony Richardson, you pop on Utah, you think he's the first pick in the draft. Um, even Missouri, he makes some big time plays in that game. So you know, I know it's a little bit of a roller coaster. I know he hasn't played a ton, but teams are starting to look at some of these quarterbacks as lottery tickets, and this one has the biggest payout. So that's why I think you're going to see Richardson go pretty high. The reason I had him there with the Lions is I think sometimes when you have that those two picks, I almost you know I say it's a luxury because you're trying to get good players. But when you look at the landscape of the NFL right now, and you look at you know the high high end quarterback play. 
you know, this gives you an opportunity to, you know, take a shot on one of those guys who could be that, you know, he's not at that level right now, but ceiling wise with, with him and Jared Goff, his ceilings, you know, immensely higher. Jared's a, is a, is a solid steady player right now. He's playing winning football. Um, but I think there is a ceiling on him. This, you know, with Anthony Richardson, you don't have a ceiling. So that's why I think you'll see him go, but I don't think, you know, in, in making just calls over the last couple of days, I don't even think he'll get there. Great. Appreciate it. See you in Indy. See you there. Next question comes from Mike K. Mike, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, I wanted to ask you about a local kid from uh, North Carolina, Nick Saldaviri from Old Dominion. We saw him move inside uh, to center and guard during the senior bowl. I was just curious, where do you envision him playing in the league and where do you think his range is from a from a draft standpoint? Yeah, I liked him as a player and kind of reminded me of of Max Mitchell, you know, coming out last year. And people kind of wonder what Max would do, where he would play. Was he physically strong enough? And when he got out in the field for the Jets, he played pretty well. So, um, you know, I, I think he can still hold up at tackle. Um, I think he's got quick feet. I think he, he can bend. Uh, he plays under control. I think there's going to be times just at that height, if you're inside, I think he's going to get a little high and he's going to get moved, but he can sink, he can bend. And I think he could play out on the edge. So I, I still like him at tackle. want to you know, continue to see him get stronger, but uh, I, I, in terms of the range, I have him like in the third round. And I, you know, when you're talking offensive lineman with him in a pretty good class of uh, in terms of the depth, maybe not the top end guys, third, fourth round would probably be the range I'd put him. Next question comes from Ben Volan. Ben, you may ask your question. What's up, Daniel? Thanks for doing this, man. No problem. Um, very intrigued by your comment on the tight end position. Uh, tell me why you love this year's tight end class. How many could you see going in the first round? The Patriots have the 14th pick. Is that too high for a tight end? Uh, please break it down for me. Yeah, it's not too high for me. Um, in terms of the number of guys, I can kind of count them up here. So let me just go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I have eleven tight ends that I have top three round grades on, which is a ridiculous number. Um, it is just a really, really good group. And to me, um, I know he's coming off of an injury right now. And I know he's kind of more of a of a flex tight end. Uh but Dalton Kincaid from Utah is, I think he's a big time player. I think he's one of the, he's one of my favorite players to watch in this draft. I think he's one of the best players in the draft. Um, he's just sudden in everything that he does. He separates, he's outstanding after the catch. You know, he can win on contact over the middle of the field. Um, he's, he's really, really good after the catch, you know, as a blocker, he's going to more shield you and wall off. I, I don't like, you know, when you compare guys to all time, great players but just in his movement stuff he moves he kind of looks like Kelsey just the way he moves in and out of breaks um he's a really really good player I think he's you know I, I really like Zach Ertz when he was coming out the year he was coming out I think he's a better version uh, of Zach Ertz so he's up there you've got Mayer who's just an all-around tight end not going to be real dynamic uh at a Notre Dame but he is kind of the king of the combat catches. Um, he's got a good feel on option routes, just keeping guys on his back and kind of walling them off and making plays. Um, but a good overall tight end, good blocker. Darnell Washington is massive from Georgia. He's he's like playing with a sixth offensive lineman in the run game, and he's still developing and learning in the pass game. You know, I think there's more there. 
obviously they had the best tight end in the country there in Bowers, who's just an absolute freak show. Um, so he doesn't get as many uh, balls as he would in another offense, but um, he's, he's, he's really intriguing. Musgrave from Oregon state's going to probably run in a low four fives at 255 pounds. Um, he could go in the first round. I mean, then you just, you start going through the list. Laporta from Iowa, um, Tucker Craft from South Dakota state. You get Davis Allen from Clemson's intriguing Payne Durham from Purdue, um, Schoonmaker from Michigan, Strange from Penn State, Wiley from Cincinnati. Like, there's those are the 11 guys. It is a, it is a really, really good group. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yep. Next question comes from Jordan Rodriguez. Jordan, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ. Thank you so much for doing this uh, with us today. Kind of a niche question, Rams yeah. really. Um, as they evaluate um, their backup quarterback situation, um, who are some guys that you think are good schematic fits, but also um, fits in consideration with what Sean McVay's traditionally done at quarterback? Yeah, there's some interesting guys. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, you look at it and say, okay, who fits from a traditional standpoint? And then, um, you know, who could be kind of somebody that'd be fun to play with, with a creative coordinator and Sean McVay. I, I really like Hendon Hooker. I think he's a good player. Um, I think he can do everything that Sean McVay wants to do. I think he's you start with accuracy and decision making. I you know he can move around, so you're going to be able to use all that stretch boot. He's going to be very comfortable doing that. He can think the game really well. Um, you know we'll we'll see how high he ends up going coming off of the injury. I think he would have been a first round pick if he doesn't get hurt, even with the age. I know people you know talk about how old he is, but He's a really, really solid player. I think would be a great fit uh, in that system. And you look at other guys that can kind of, you know, would be maybe a little bit later on. Um, to me, would probably be somebody like a, you know, Jaron Hall would would be a, you know, I think he'll probably end up going the fourth or fifth round. But you know, good athlete can move, um, can really drive the ball. Um, you know, has some things he can work on with his with his footwork. I know I'm sure they've been working on that and lead up to the draft. It gets a little too bouncy at times. Um, but he's somebody that's kind of an intriguing project to me that you could uh, you could keep an eye on in that type of uh, area of the draft. Thanks very much. Yep. Next question comes from Bob McManaman. Bob, you may ask your question. Thanks, DJ, for doing this. Uh I saw what you picked Tyree to go three to the Cardinals, but um, given the fact that there's a brand new staff from top to bottom coaching and management, do you think um, they might go in a different route? And can, is if Anderson and and the Georgia ta defensive tackle are there, is that still way way in play? Um. Look, to me, the way I have them stacked, like who, you know, I think Jalen Carter's the best player in the draft from Georgia. And I think that Will Anderson's the second best player. Um, but I, I know when talking to people around the league, and when I do mock drafts, you're trying to get, you know, just a feel and, you know, the the potential outcomes there and not just doing the same exact thing every single time. And I know that there's teams that have it really, really close. And uh, and some actually even prefer Tyree Wilson to Anderson just because of the the size and the length and the attributes that he has there. But, it, you know, if you're asking me, um, I, I I wouldn't be trading off of of either of those two guys. I mean, we look at Jalen Carter, or Will Anderson, I, I probably wouldn't want to get out if I were them, as desperate as they are for defensive linemen. Um, and I think those are the two best guys. So uh, kind of a two-parter there. You know, what would I do? That was what I would do. I'd take one of those two guys. Um, and then, uh, you know, but I, I do want to make sure that Tyree Wilson kind of gets in the mix. I remember doing a similar thing last year. 
trying to trying to alert everybody that this Trayvon Walker from Georgia, uh, you know, like, hey, just know who he is and be aware and don't be surprised. So that's uh, that's kind of the same thing. Uh, same thing I'm doing here. Same formula. Thanks, DJ. Yep. As a reminder to media, uh, if you would like to ask a question, uh, please use the raise hand function. Uh, we have over 130 people on the call, so we'll look to get to everyone as we can. Uh, and as we've been doing, please limit to one question just so we can get through everyone. Next question comes from Mark Podesh. Mark, you may ask your question. Mark. All right, we'll go to the next one. Next question comes from Jim Wyatt. Jim, you may ask your question. Daniel, appreciate your time. Uh, obviously, a lot of moving parts in Tennessee. When you look at their needs and you look at the board, what's maybe a best case scenario for them at number eleven? Well, I mean, obviously, tackles is going to be a uh, you know a glaring need for them. If you're asking me absolute best best case scenario, I'd say somehow Skaronski gets there um, from Northwestern. And I think he can play tackle. Um, you know, I think he could be an unbelievable guard as well, but Peter Skaronsky would be my, my dream scenario. And, and while I don't think that's going to happen, you start getting all these quarterbacks coming off the board and we end up getting four go and you have those top defensive players. Um, you know, maybe it's not the craziest thing in the world that somehow he would make it to him, but he reminds me a lot of Elijah Vera Tucker. Remember, uh, with Vera Tucker last year. The talk or when he was coming out into that draft was, is he a guard? Is he, a, you know, is he a tackle? And it turns out he can do whatever the heck you want him to do. He's really, really good. Um, so Skaronsky would be my best case scenario. And then, um, you know, you're looking at receiver as another, as another need there. I don't think it's a great receiver draft, um, but I really do like Jordan Addison. You know, I think the, the one reason that might not happen is because he, he's kind of similar to, to Robert Woods. So um, if that wasn't uh wasn't what they were looking for. If they wanted to get bigger there, then I think you could look at, you know, TCU has Johnston, who's a big, fast, physical kid. Thank you. Oh, we'll go back to Mark Potish. Mark, you may ask your question. Thanks, DJ. Uh, um, you indicated earlier that the Bears could face a tough decision trading down and, and getting and trading basically out of uh, Carter or Anderson, I guess. Just how to, can you kind of break down Carter as a prospect? Is he worth the number one overall? And also, how, how tough a decision would it be for the Bears to, to trade out of that? What, what would their options, best options be if they traded too far down to get Carter and, and, or Anderson? Yeah, I mean, I would probably go back to the same guy I just talked about would be Skaronsky. I mean, this is, you know, as bad as the Bears defense is, you've got to give Justin Fields some uh, some help here going forward. So if they traded all the way down to nine, I would think they're probably trading themselves into the, you know, their choice, dealer's choice of offensive lineman at that point in time. Um, and, you know, look, it would be hard to trade away from those top two defensive players because I think they're really, really good. Uh, but if you could just get the just the sheer haul of picks, um, that could serve you well into the future. Um, I, I think I would go that route and probably would switch me from the defensive side to the offensive side with that first pick um, that they'd be going after there. In terms of Carter as a player, man, he's a, you know, it's a overused, I guess, but I don't know how else to describe him. He's just a freak show uh, when you're watching him. It just looks like he works at a different speed than everybody else on the field. The change of direction, you know, he can kind of teleport from one gap to the next, and you're like, I don't even know how he how he got there, but you've got no chance. Um, the offensive line coach at Georgia is, is a good buddy of mine, Stacy Searles, and 
when I asked him about Jalen Carter and he said, when he, when he comes to practice and doesn't want to get blocked, he's not getting blocked. <laughs> I mean, he's just, uh, he's, a, he's a unique player. If you want to see, you know, the athleticism, go, go, uh, read my buddy Bruce Feldman's article about him and look at the dunk that he posted inside the, the article. And you can see him with windmill dunking over 300 pounds. So he's a, he's a, he's an absolute freak. I think he's better than Quinn and Williams coming out. And I loved Quinn and Williams. So that's the type of player you're getting. Thank you. Next question comes from Antoine Staley. Antoine, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, uh, how you doing? Um, I know with the Jets, you had them taking uh, Broderick Jones at number 13. Just talk about why you think that'll be a good fit and also uh, some other positions that uh, the Jets might need in the draft as well. Sure. Um, when you look at Broderick Jones, I think his best football is still ahead of him. He's an incredibly strong. He's incredibly athletic. Um, what he can do in the second level stuff in the run game as well as in the screen game. Um, is outstanding. You know, he sets a little bit, a little bit of a unique set where he sets a little bit flat. So there are times where guys can can get up field on him, but then he shows you the ability to recover um, and hang in there. So, you know, maybe a little top heavy at times. He gets a little over aggressive. He's pretty, uh, you know, he's a pretty physical player, but I think there's a lot to really like about him. Um, I think he could play either side. I think he play right tackle. He could play left tackle. Um, that would be a, uh, you know, that's why I had him going there. I think it'd be a really good fit in terms of other needs. Um, you know, still continuing to get more firepower. I know they signed all those tight ends last year, but I still don't think they have a real dynamic difference making tight end. I think they got some good players. Um, but that would be, uh, you know, that'd be something I'd be trying to find as well as, you know, we'll see what they're going to do at the center position going forward. Um, I, I would, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing them get one of those young centers in this draft. It's a it's a pretty good group of interior offensive linemen. Thank you. Yep. Next question comes from Joe Rudder. Joe, you may ask your question. Yeah, hi, Daniel. I saw in your last mock you had uh, Tennessee tackle going to the Steelers. And any others at that spot that you, you could see them taking at that position, or could they go defensive line or corner? Yeah, I, I think when you're you're looking at it, I think those are some, you know, you just nailed the, the three spots. I, I think when you're looking at the offensive line options, if you're looking at tackle, you know, Darnell Wright is the one that I put there. Um, you know, I, if they if they ended up waiting on tackle, I think that Matthew Bergeron could be one from Syracuse that maybe they take at 32. Um, there's some good interior options. Uh, Steve Avila from TCU, Osiris Torrance. I think those guys are just plug and play. I mean, it's not going to, you know, you're not going to win the press conference, you know, maybe not going to win the draft party by taking those two guys, but I think they're just plug and play, you know, solid starters immediately. Um, so any combination of those three guys. And then when you, you look at the corner position, I mean, I, I would love it, it just for, for multiple reasons, but it would be fun if, if Porter were to get there, I, I don't think he'll fall that far. Um, Joey Porter jr. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, I think would probably be gone as well. I, I'm, be shocked if if Witherspoon from Illinois were there, but uh, if any of those guys somehow managed to get down there, those would be easy to run the card up for the Steelers. Next question comes from Aaron Wilson. Aaron, you may ask your question. Aaron. Hey, DJ. Thanks for doing this. No problem. Uh, DJ, when you look at Bryce, and uh, we've had quarterbacks of his size be very successful in this league, what are some reasons just watching him that you think that maybe his uh, lack of stature may not matter in the NFL? Thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's good to see Aaron. Uh, 
look, it's still going to be a concern. I think you're always going to be, you know, a little bit nervous just about the durability because of the frame. But, you know, last I was told as of uh, yesterday, he was right around 200 pounds. So I, I think he's getting close to 200 pounds. I think he'll probably show up at the combine and be 200 pounds. Um, so I know some of the rumors are out there. He's going to be 180 pounds. That's not, you know, he's not going to be that. We'll see how tall he is, but uh, you know, he's, He's got such good awareness and feel. Um, I think he'll be able to protect himself because of that. Um, he's, uh, you know, in terms of the ability, it, it's all there. I mean, every type of throw you want to make, he can drive it. He can layer the ball. He can make plays on schedule, off schedule. The talent is exceptional. You know, you talk to people that have been at Alabama for a long time, and they'll say, you know, well, we'll see how it translates, but this is the best football player uh, that we've been around. Like, he's – he is outstanding. So it, you're going to have to take a risk with any of these quarterbacks. It's just a different type of risk. You know, some might be, oh, they're going to continue to develop. The accuracy is going to improve or the instincts are going to get better. Um, with Bryce, you know, the gamble is just the durability. Is he going to be able to physically hold up? And, you know, that's the the gamble I would take when you stack all these guys up. You know, when you talk to people there, give you one example. You know, they said they'll, you know, he'll show up on Monday they'll give, you know, on Sunday after a game on Saturday, they'll have a, a game plan already for the next week. Um, and normally the kids would come in and you'll start on Monday and you'll start digging into that. And they said he would show up on Monday with a list of questions and, and suggestions of how to do this with this protection and how you can attack this coverage with this. And he said, a lot of times they would incorporate his ideas and it's just stuff he's doing on Sunday, the day after a game. So the wiring is, is pretty unique and pretty special. Next question comes from Dave Zingaro. Dave, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ. Uh, the Eagles have spent so long without taking a cornerback in the, the first round. Just wondering if there are reasons why this year could buck that trend and why Witherspoon might be a good candidate for it. Well, I think, yeah, I just think Witherspoon's a stud. Um, and I think having been in that building and seen, you know, Asante Samuel there, um, I think you could make an easy easy comparison there with just the playmaking ability to take the ball away. You know, we'll see what Bradbury ends up doing in the off season. I imagine he's probably going to get paid uh, somewhere. So if they don't resign him, uh, there's a, you know, there's going to be a need there as well. There's a zillion free agents they've got to navigate around, but that's one I would, I would think would be hard to retain. Um, and I think, you know, if you're, if you're where the Eagles are right now, you, you're, your thought process going into a draft is not, it's not the division anymore. It's not even the conference. It's what do we have to do to, to win a Super Bowl? And what do we have to do to get off the field when we're going to have to go up against, you know, Patrick Mahomes or whoever else is coming out of the AFC, be it Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, you know, those are the guys you're going to have to go through to win a championship. And in that game, they couldn't get off the field. And I, you know, I think they've got some really good pieces up front. And I think finding somebody on the back end that could take the ball away, um, that that could help their cause as well. So that's that's kind of my thought process there. Everything's about winning a Super Bowl and trying to beat these elite quarterbacks, and you do that with pass rushers and corners. Next question comes from Ben Swanson. Ben, you may ask your question. DJ, thank you for the time. Uh, the Broncos obviously don't pick until the third round. Um, how do you feel that – you know, their areas of need match up with the uh, the the depth in this draft that you kind of talked about. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, when you, you look at the Broncos and look at the directions that they, you know, could be looking to go, I think O-line, D-line obviously would be the the places where you start. I, I think from an offensive line standpoint, I feel pretty good um, about the interior and some of the depth that you could find in that portion of the draft. I think edge rush is uh, is actually a pretty good group as well. Kind of pulling up this, you know, pulling up this list and guys that I think could kind of be in that type of range. You know, a KJ Henry from Clemson uh, would be one. Andre Carter from Army. Um, you know, Zach Harrison, Ohio State. Um, Dylan Horton from TCU. Like those types of guys. Those are good players, and I think those guys are probably going to be in that third, fourth round range. You know, Foskey would be another one. We'll see. He's going to test. He's going to test really well, so he might test his way out of that range um, and up a little bit higher. But uh, I think when you're looking at offensive linemen, edge rushers. I think that's uh you know it's not it's not bad. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with the the quality of the depth that's going to still be there in the third and fourth round in this draft. Next question comes from Jonas Schaefer. Jonas, you may ask your question. Hey DJ, thanks for doing this. Uh, not really a prospect question, but you know the Ravens have said that they're two hundred percent committed to Lamar Jackson, but obviously you can't it doesn't hurt to be uh, you know fully aware of what's going on. So I guess what could this you know kind of next week in Indy look for uh, look like for as a prospect? Oh, just in terms of sorry, you cut out a little bit. Just in terms of uh, you know how they navigate around Lamar's situation, is that kind of what you're gonna kind of reading from around the NFL? Yeah, I mean, um, look, it's it's kind of a I, I don't know how you really conduct business if you're Baltimore right now until you get an answer kind of one way or the other, whether or not you're going to be able to you know, come close on a deal and feel like you can get something done there, or you got to start planning around that, not only you know, kind of financially. Um, being able to budget what you want to do with, with free agency and, and things like that and budget your cap. But also, you know, if if you're this far apart and it's a philosophical difference in terms of guarantees, then you start ha you have to start at least thinking about the possibility and planning for a future where he wouldn't be there. So, you know, whether that entails seeing what the value is on the on the trade market, I think you'd have to do your due diligence to at least see what it is, um, as well as you know, potentially planning for the future. If there's, you know, if there's a quarterback that you like at some point in the draft, whenever that is, um, you might start having to plan for that as well. So it's, you know, it, it's a tricky spot that that Eric's in right there. But, uh, you know, I think that clarity one way or the other is going to be your friend. You just don't want to go into this thing not knowing if you have a chance of getting a deal done. Thank you. Next question comes from Stu Jackson. Stu, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, thanks for the time this morning. Uh, curious what you see as the Rams' biggest needs are, and you know, based on the way you have the, the first round unfolding in that mock draft, as well as your top 50, uh, you know, what some potential options might be for them toward the uh, top of the second round there. Yeah, so Rams picking 36 um, needs-wise, you know, continue to look at edge. Um, offensive line-wise would be another area that I would keep an eye on. The, the, those linemen that I – touched on a little bit earlier you know I, I like Cody Mauk to me is a is a really good player at North Dakota State has like five position flexibility I think that's probably the sweet spot for where he would go um, and that you know you're seeing this more and more talking to people around the league and, and you're going through meetings and I've seen it uh, you know covering the Chargers games and doing their games and just 
being around the league is, man, when you got guys that can play in those multiple spots, it just allows you to overcome the injuries of a 17-game season so much easier. And I think when you look at guys like Cody Mauk, I think that that really, really ups his value um, because he's able to, to play in those different positions. I mentioned Bergeron from Syracuse I think would be a good fit. Um, I think he's going to be a really good tackle, could kick in if you wanted him to. If you, you know, you want an interior offensive lineman, another one in that mix, yeah. John Michael Schmitz is uh, from Minnesota, who is awesome at the senior bowl. So yeah, that's where their position. If you're looking for offensive linemen, I think it's a really, really good place to be. Next question comes from Patrick Angle. Patrick, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, on the tight ends in general, like you touched on kind of going off of that before from watching yourself and and talking to teams, do you get the sense there's going to kind of be a consensus on the T1 or more of a, a kind of widespread thing? And uh, the second part of that is, why do you think that's kind of been a spot based on draft history where teams are willing to overlook middling or, you know, unremarkable production and not get wowed by great production at tight end? Yeah, I, I it's a great question. And we've done studies on it, looked at it over the years, and it's just been a traits over production position. And it goes back to the basketball players, you know, with Antonio Gates um, and Jimmy Graham. It goes to George Kittle not having a ton of numbers uh, there at Iowa. It's just, you know, can you can you separate? You have that short area quickness and then you have kind of that that aware, that awareness, that spatial awareness, all that stuff is really, really important versus you being in a college team and you're playing quarters coverage and they're throwing you, you know, bubble screens and tunnel screens. So you catch 85 balls. Like it just doesn't, the production doesn't translate is, is uh, smoothly at that position to the next level. You've got to have those traits. Um, but in terms of, yeah, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a uniform TE one in this draft. When you talk to teams around the league, you'll hear different names mentioned. Um, Usually it's 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 Kincaid, it's Mayer, um, it's Musgrave, and it's Washington. Those are kind of the four that get mentioned. And I would say I've got back the feedback I've got back the most. Most teams I talk to have Kincaid number one because of the passing game value. But that's you know Mayer has his has his sponsors around the league as well. Next question comes from Phil Perry. Phil, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, thanks for doing this. I have a Patriots question for you. The Right now, guys under contract, they have Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, and Tyquan Thornton. Seem like guys who have pretty different skill sets, but I'm curious if at 14, and I know you said it's not a an excellent maybe receiver class, but is there somebody available at 14 who might complement that group that they may be interested in? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's interesting. It's, I don't, should they be in the compliment uh, issue or should they be in the substitute uh, issue? I mean, that's, that's kind of the the predicament that you're in. I think you want the best one available. And I don't think there's anybody that's in my opinion, that's dominant or good enough in that group that you would, you would have to play off of their skill set. I think you just want the best one. Um, so to me, I, I look at if you're looking for high volume, you know, catches and, and productivity, you know, you can make a case for Jackson Smith and Jigba because he's just got a really good feel. He works really good in the middle of the field. Um, we know the success they've had with guys like that. So um, that one, you know, I, I could see making sense to me. I just would want the best overall guy. And that's, in my opinion, is Jordan Addison, you know, just because I think he's a complete route runner. I think he gives you burst and explosiveness to make plays over the top. Um, and I think he's got outstanding hands. So, um, that, that to me would be the place that I would go, but yeah, I, you know, it's one thing if you've got, 
you've got a premier a one level player and you're like, okay, we got to find this, the, the compliment to this. It's like, I don't know. Sub, substitutes. Okay. There as well. You need to find the best guy. Thanks TJ. Right. Next question comes from Jory Epstein. Jory, you may ask your question. Thanks so much for doing this, Daniel. Uh, I was wondering, I see that you put Bijan Robinson as number four on your top 50, 19th in the draft. And I was curious how much you think that reflects team needs versus the value of the running back. And in a year when you've got potential franchise tag candidates and Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, just what teams are saying about the value of the running back, both, both in the veterans and the rookies? That's a great question. And if you, if you asked around, and I've done this to a bunch of teams, the most consistently highly graded player uh, in the draft, because even on some of them, there's some varying opinions. You'll get some people say on the defensive side, oh, you know, I'm a Will Anderson guy, or maybe I'm a Jalen Carter guy. Everybody says that Bijan Robinson is not only the best running back in this class, he's one of the five best players in this class. He's elite. And then you then transition to, okay, where does he go? And then all of them say, I have no idea. You know, I, I have no idea. Does he go into the 20s? There's people that say, I there there will not be people inside the league and i know and some people think all oh, the analytics they'll they'll kill him if if he were to go in the top 10 he would not get laughs around the league because people know how good this guy is um so it, i just don't know where to put him and you look at all the different needs that these teams have and my philosophy on kind of the running backs is i don't uh I don't mind taking a running back in the first round as long as your team is ready to win right now. Because if you if you take into account the guy's got four, five, six years of you know elite production, I don't mind getting him in the first round because I get the extra year on the contract with you know it's easy to control it. Um, then I've got a franchise tag number if I want, and that can kind of take me through all of his prime. But I don't want to waste carries on a crappy team. I want to have all of his carries over that five-year period count and help us push towards, you know, a championship. So to, to take a, a big time running back like that and your team stinks, you're going to waste his prime and it's not going to do anything for you. So that's, that's the conundrum there with, with B. John Robinson, but he is no doubt about it to me. He's one of the premier, premier players in the draft. Next question comes from Ray Fittipaldo. Ray, you may ask your question. Daniel, with Omar Khan overseeing his first draft and, you know, his first offseason, how important is this first opportunity for him, um, you know, to kind of set the tone for the types of personnel that he wants in there? And with three picks in the, in the top 50, are they set up to, you know, to do pretty well in this draft? I think they're really set up well, you know, and, and talking about them just a little bit ago, when you look at the needs of, of offensive line, corner, um, you know, Maybe uh, maybe even some more pass rush, I think, where they're positioned with their picks. 17, 32, 49, 80. Like, those are four. You got four starters. I think you can get four starters with those four picks. And the good thing is Omar's smart. Omar's been there. He knows, you know, what Steelers are supposed to look like and, and how they're supposed to play. Um, I think Andy Weidel coming over there is somebody I've known forever, and, and he's going to kind of bring that – his background with the Ravens and with the Eagles. And if you look at those teams and how they've been built and the sustained success, similar to the Steelers in that it's a line of scrimmage organization. So I think they're philosophically aligned there. Um, you know, and Tomlin and that group does such a good job of developing the guys uh, once you bring them in. So I, I think their needs marry up very well with this draft. And I don't think it's something where you have a new GM coming in and trying to survey the landscape and figure out, you know, how, what do we need? How do we, he knows exactly what they need. Um, and I think they have the people there to not only 
pick the right people, but I think they have the coaching staff to get it out of them. I mean, I know it's not, I know this is a draft call, but what they did last year, you know, to, to kick save that season. And, and, uh, and once again, uh, Mike Tomlin goes over 500. That was, uh, it was pretty remarkable. Next question comes from Eric Smith. Eric, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, uh, with the Chargers at 21, it seems like speed is the top need that people are talking about. I thought you had uh, Johnson of TCU in your mock. Is, is that their number one need with, with getting more quickness on the outside? Yeah, I, you know, and again, they can do that in free agency as well. Um, there's some guys on that list that can that can move. I, I just think it's an element that needs to be added. I don't I'm not beholden to that being the first round pick, even if you know, if you aren't able to do it in the in the free agency period, I don't think that you have uh, you know, a, a ultimatum that it has to be your first round pick has to be a speed receiver. You can find some guys throughout the draft that can really run. It just has to show up at some point in time in the offseason. Um, you know, I think that is a big need. Uh, when you look at the free agency situation, you know, what happens uh, with Pipkins, I think will kind of inform a little bit of the direction that they need to go in the offseason um, with, with the offensive line. Uh, again, kind of talking about that versatility that we were talking about earlier, that's where Jamari Sawyer's ability to play tackle or to play inside at guard is is valuable to them. Um, but yeah, I do think that's a, you know, that's a big, big area of need. They need to get faster and more dynamic and more explosive. And then, you know, the, the run defense has been the bugaboo for a few years now. So continuing to get stronger and stouter at the point of attack and, uh, and maybe mixing a, a younger edge rusher as well. Next question comes from Dan Horde. Dan, you may ask your question. Hey, uh, DJ, uh, you mentioned Josh Wiley earlier as being a possibility in the first three rounds. I'm interested in your take on three other University of Cincinnati guys, wide receivers, Trey Tucker and Tyler Scott and linebacker Ivan Pace. Sure. Uh, Tyler Scott is, you know, we're just talking about speed. That's speed. Like that's legit big time speed uh, on the outside. And what I love about him is when the ball goes up as fast as he is, he gets faster. Um, he's fast after the catch. Um, you can use him on jet sweeps. He's got, you know, he's, he's got reliable hands. The, the one thing you it's normal with a lot of fast guys is just gearing down, getting in and out of cuts. Uh, that's a little bit more effort there, but a pure vertical receiver. Um, I, I think he's the, the grade that I gave him is a day two grade. So second, third round, I think is where he goes. Wiley, you know, can flex out. He's a clean route runner. He's smooth. He shows you at 260 pounds the polish to tempo routes to change speeds. Um, yeah, he's an, he's an intriguing player. Uh, Pace is one of the best off-ball blitzing linebackers uh, that I've seen. Really, I mean that's like his superpower. He's just got a really good feel. He can shoot gaps. He's got a wide variety of moves uh, as a rusher. There, uh, you know the the agility, the change of direction, the pure speed. You know, I'm I'm, I'm curious about that once we get to the combine. Um, but you know, if you, if you're looking for guys that can do one thing really well, he's an unbelievable blitzer off the ball. Um, so I have him more kind of in that fourth, fifth round range. Um, who was the other one you asked about Trey Tucker? Was that the other one? Um, Trey Tucker is, uh, you know, he's really good on special teams playing the slot. He's got some suddenness as well. You can use him on jet sweeps. Um, he's tough. He, he can win against press coverage with his quickness. Um, you know, I, I thought he was, had the profile. He's a little bit smaller, obviously at five, a little under five, nine, under 190 pounds. I thought he profiled as kind of a fourth receiver and, and a special teams player, which, you know, I put him in that 
yeah, right around the fifth round range would be about where my grade is. Next question comes from Q Myers. Q, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, appreciate your time. This is Q out in Las Vegas, and you have the Raiders taking Will Levitz to number seven. Uh, how would you kind of rank the quarterback class, and how many potential franchise quarterbacks do you see in this class? I, I think there's I, – I would actually say five because, you know, we'll see where Hennon Hooker lands. And, again, I, I already kind of went, went down that road, but I know he's older, but I think he's got a chance to be a starter and be a solid starter. So – I would say there's a chance to be five and they all have concerns. They all, there's not a, uh, uh, it's not one of those years where you have Trevor Lawrence. It's not Joe Burrow. It's obviously not, it's not Andrew Luck. It's not that year where you say, okay, this is that one. And I would say can't miss, but it's going to be hard to miss. (laughs) We don't have that. Uh, They all have warts. They all have flaws, but I think there's five potential solid starters uh, in this group. I have it Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Levis Richardson, um, but you know, again, if you know who you have developing these guys and you have a plan in place, you know, I, I think it's very close, uh, when you look at how they, those guys stack up for me, it's Bryce, a gap. And then those other three guys, I think it's however they fit you, what plan you have in place and, and how you want to use them. If you've got a veteran in place for a year, I think Anthony Richardson, you can make that case. You've got a coordinator that understands how to incorporate Will Levis's athleticism right now. I, you know, I know and talking to, to, to folks that have been through there, they rave about his ability to handle a lot of information. So if you think about Josh McDaniels and his offense, it's been kind of known as a, you know, they can put a lot on your plate. And it sounds like that's something he's comfortable doing. I would put Hendon Hooker in that same, in that same realm, just in terms of when they talk about his you know, his football acumen, he's going to be able to pick it up and and, and handle a, a, a large uh, playbook there. Um, and Stroud, to me, is just like the – he's the purest thrower of the bunch, just accurate. You know, if you value decision-making accuracy, as, as pretty much everybody does, uh, C.J. Stroud's really, really solid in that area. So that's why he's number two for me. And then Bryce, I think, outside the size, just does everything at a very high level. Next question comes from Karen Gregan. Karen, you may ask your question. Hey, Daniel, appreciate you uh, taking the time. Um, I was just curious when you look at this class, who are the four or five prospects that look most like Patriot type players to you? Ooh, that's a good one. Patriot type players. Uh, well, I mean, Peter Skaronsky, I'll just kind of go down through the list here. Uh, Witherspoon from Illinois, because they value, you know, ball skills and instincts and awareness so much in the secondary. He, he definitely fits uh, in that regard. Um, I, I would give you Keon white is one because of the versatility up front. He's six, almost six, five, 280 pounds. And he could be an edge setter, uh, which they've always valued the, the physicality to set the edge in the run game. Um, you know, trying to find body types like Willie McGinnis going all the way back. It's hard to find guys that are that big and that strong that can still move. Um, so he would be one, I would say, that kind of fit that profile, a, a real smart player as well. Um, let me give you another one here. Van Ness from, from Iowa. Obviously, you have the connection there uh, with Kirk Ferentz and Belichick. So he's always going to be comfortable with with Iowa players. And he's a big physical uh, defensive lineman who can move uh, inside, outside. So those are some guys I think that would be, you know, good overall fits. And then if we want to go to the you know, non-power five offensive linemen uh, that they uh, hit on last year with Cole Strange. Why not go back and go with uh, 
with Malk there, Cody Malk from North Dakota State. Again, versatility, bunch of different positions, highly tough, highly intelligent, Patriot-type guy. Awesome. Thanks, Daniel. You're welcome. Next question comes from Ben Standig. Ben, you match your question. Hey, uh, Daniel. Uh, great to great to talk to you. Um, question about uh, Washington's quarterback situation. Uh, you studied Sam Howell last year, and he's gone from a fifth-round pick with one career start to being the projected <laughs> uh, starter this year. I'm just sort of curious what you think of that uh, trajectory for him, and if Washington isn't going to spend big at quarterback but still need to get somebody, how do you see what makes the most sense for them, either with the draft or in free agency? All right, now, now I'm uh, curious because I'm going back to look it up because I know – so how ended up – that was a shocker to me how late he went in the draft, so I'm looking up to see where I had him. So he was my 48th player in last year's draft. Um, so I thought it was a you – know, I thought it was a bargain of all bargains that they got him where they did. When I go back through my notes with him last year, thick, sturdy, um, he's got quick feet, he can drive the ball. Um, he's a physical runner, love the toughness, um, just locks on at times. But I, I thought he was a starting caliber quarterback, so I'm not surprised that here we are a year later and he's going to be their starter. I just didn't envision that it would have uh, uh, been available to them as late in the draft as it was. But um, I, I'm, I'm bullish on him. I think he's got a chance to be a good player. I think that the – you know we'll see. I think the league missed on that one, uh, allowing him to fall as far as they did. In terms of other quarterbacks, if you're looking for somebody to kind of bring in um, and, and, again, try and find somebody maybe not high in the draft but a little bit later on, the one that intrigues me um, and just is somebody that I think there's something there, and I know he's light, but UCLA kid, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, if you want a, he's kind of that backup that can – get you out of games and can run around, make plays. He's ultra twitched up. He's got a live arm. Um, I, I thought he got better. He played a lot of football at UCLA, but he got better every year. Um, I know he's a little bit older, and I think that's another reason why you probably get a value. But if you're saying who's somebody that in this next draft might be picked in the fifth round, sixth round, that could end up starting a few games next year and, and uh, would be able to hang in there and make plays, he'd be one that I think is kind of a fun one. Next question comes from John Shipley. John, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, I appreciate you doing this. When you look at the Jaguars at number 24 overall, how do you balance, you know, potentially addressing the defense to, against, you know, potentially adding more pieces around Trevor Lawrence? Well, you know, I'm always a proponent of giving the young quarterbacks as much help as they can early on in their careers as they can develop their confidence. And then once they become, who they are, you can afford to maybe cut some corners around them and, and allocate your resources to the other side of the ball. I think in having a front row seat at that playoff game when they were down 27 nothing and watching them come back and make it happen, I think he might have turned that corner already. Um, so I'm not going to worry too much uh, about what he has. I think he's got a pretty decent group around him now. You can continue to, to sprinkle it in. But to me, I think right now the, the defensive needs cry out, especially, you know, just more pass rushers, um, the ability to improve on third down. They were 29th and third down last year. So, you know, more corners, more pass rushers. Um, I would probably be leaning more in that direction, even with, you know, with their second pick as well, 24 and 56. I think you can find, you know, you can find a tight end, um, a wide out a little bit later in the draft to just kind of, you know, maybe more of a niche player to, to come in there and fill in around what you already have. But uh, I would be leaning defense early. Thanks, DJ.
Yep. Next question comes from Angelique Shangelis. Angelique, you may ask your question. Thanks so much. Uh, Daniel, I was just wondering your impressions of, uh, of Michigan's um, Oluwatimi and Mozzie Smith and Mike Morris, please. Thanks. Sure. Um, uh, we'll go through the Oluwatimi. Uh, he's just a really, really solid player. Guys that have started a zillion games, offensive linemen in the Big Ten, um, there's a really good hit rate of those guys, uh, especially interior offensive linemen. He started 49 games. Um, so it's it just, it translates really well. He's got an instant anchor. Um, he can wipe out middle linebackers when he works up to the second level. Not going to be an elite, you know, redirect and space guy, but, uh, you know, he's strong. He's firm. Um, he's going to kind of just use that upper strength and wrestle you there at the point of attack in the run game. But, uh, you know, he can set a, he can help you set a firm pocket. So I think there's a lot of value there with him. I have him as kind of a, you know, third round. Maybe you could get into the fourth round, but most likely a third round player. Uh, Mike Morris is just a, you know, he's a massive stand up outside linebacker there um, who can really set the edge. He got after, you know, the tackle from, from Maryland as a, as a gifted player. And he, he went right through him with power. So uh, he's a big, powerful guy. He's, you know, he flashes some some up and under stuff that he can do, showing you he's a little more nifty than you think. Um, but he's, you know, he's kind of got an interior body and plays out there on the exterior. So interesting player. I put him in that third round range. All three of these guys have the same grade on. Schoonmaker is another one. Um, the tight end who I have in that range is a, you know, inline tight end. He can move. You can split him out wide. He's got some burst uh, after the catch. He can adjust down the field. Um, I don't even think you asked about him, but he he's a good player as well. The top, the uh, the top Michigan guys though, when you look at Mozzie Smith, he's up there in my top fifty. He's three hundred and thirty plus pounds. He's got quickness. He can overpower you. I know that you know. You look at the production, the pass rush production doesn't exist. He's got a half sack in his career, but then you watch him and he's disruptive. So it's more disruption over production. But I do think he's got upside as a rusher, and you can't move him in the run game and played really well uh, in their biggest game of the year. So he's a good one. And then I'll add one more uh, for good luck here with DJ Turner. The corner is going to run really fast. I think he's going to go in the second round. Um, he's got big time, big time burst. He can he can drive on balls in front. When he gets out of position, he's got the speed to recover. You know, just every now and then he'll get boxed out because of his size. But I think he's a second round corner. It's a, you know, I, I was. I was watching this group of Michigan players and they have a really good group that's coming into this draft, but you also notice the guys they have coming back next year, including the quarterback and the running back. And this is not a college football show, but Michigan's going to be really, really good again next year. Next question comes from John Crick. John, you may ask your question. Hey, Daniel, five Canadians are in the draft conversation this year. I'm hoping you can hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh. Let me just see. Let me see. Hold on. Is it is it Bergeron, City So, Chase Brown, Sidney Brown, Tavius Robinson? Is that am I right? I believe that's it. I was just going to ask you about the three Ontario guys, the Chase and Sydney, and where you see Sydney projecting uh, position wise, and uh, then Tavius Robinson. Okay, I, I'm always I'm always geared up and ready for the uh, for the Canadian question. Um, when I when I look at the uh, at Sydney, to me is uh, you know obviously the ball productions there. At, at 5'10", 213 pounds, had six picks. He's got great range. You'll see him undercut routes. He's explosive. I think he's going to test really, really well. He's outstanding on special teams. Um, 
You'll see he had a forced fumble on a punt. One of the games that I watched, he's, uh, you know, the only tape that he struggled with was against Laporta, the Iowa tight end. He struggled a little bit in coverage in that one, uh, but had a really good senior bowl week. He's going to go day two. Um, I, I think you'll see him go in the second round or, you know, mid middle second round to early third round is I think when you'll see him uh, chase Brown, the running back, he's a, he's a quick stepper. He can run through contact. He's got a nice little stiff arm. Um, he just runs really hard and, uh, the production obviously was there, uh, again, super productive player, good player pass pro is a little bit of an issue there. He got crushed, uh, by some linebackers and that. So that's his area to, to improve. It's a really deep running back group. So I think probably third round would be the high water mark, but I would say probably a wider range third to fifth round, uh, somewhere in there is where he would end up going. And then the last one was Robinson. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. So for Robinson, get to him here. Uh, yep. Robinson, you know, had the production, had the eight sacks. He's high cut. He's long. You know, he's kind of fun to watch because he's he's in that four point stance and just launches out of it. Um, he's got a nifty little push pull move, but I thought he was a little bit tight. He's a little bit stiff at the top of his rush. And I thought he got pinned and sealed a little too often in the run game. Um, so that, you know, he's a later round guy for me, more of a, you know, like a six round pick, but you've got some size uh, and you've got some production. So he's, uh, you know, definitely going to hear his name called. Fab, thanks. Next question comes from Jeff Mosher. Jeff, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, how's it going? Good, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for doing this as always. Um, I wanted to ask you, sort of go back a year with you, if you don't mind, to the Eagles taking Jordan Davis. Um, is it something, you know, going back on your evaluations that you could have seen going into his rookie year where it might have been a struggle or difficult because he played limited snaps at Georgia? Um, weight, I think, was an issue for him at times and and just adjusting to the NFL with all those great traits, but um, maybe not as much snaps or experience playing the game. Is there something there to, that you could have maybe seen him not having a very impactful rookie year? Well, I think he he went from a, a team with a crap ton of talent in college and went to a team in the NFL with a crap ton of talent. So, uh, you know, they rolled, they rolled all those guys through. So they, they kind of divvied up those reps. And maybe that's why you didn't see as much, you know, as much pop or as much production from him. Um, but I mean, golly, it's, they have such a deep group there. And it's one of the reasons why they went to the Super Bowl. So I'm still bullish on him. I think he's going to be really, really good. Uh, obviously I think he's still learning how to use what's in his body. It's all there. He's got all the ability in the world. I think he's just going to, you know, he just needs to play. He gets out there and plays more. I think you'll, you'll see that, that start to emerge, but it was somewhat like that in college where you'll see flashes and then you kind of, okay, where did it go? But with guys like that and, and defensive linemen, it's not always instantaneous either. It's just, you know, it's a different game. Even when you're in the SEC, as great as that conference is, it's different. It's different when you're playing against grown men every week. And I think you'll see, you'll see him grow and, and continue to develop. I mean, there's, um, you see it every year. I mean, Quinn, look at like Quinn and Williams early in his career and just what he just get better and better and better and better. I think you'll see, uh, you'll see Jordan Davis be a better football player next year. All right. Thanks. See you in Indy, bud. See you, man. Next question comes from Anthony Poisal. Anthony, you may ask a question. Hey, DJ. Uh, everyone right now seems to think the Browns will be targeting their defensive line with their first pick in the second round. Do you agree with that? And which guys do you think are fits for them and what Jim Schwartz likes to do with his D-line? Yeah, Schwartzy likes to get outside and, and let those guys rock and roll um, and really get off the ball. So 
when you look at where the Browns are picking second round pick number 42, if you're looking for edge rushers that have, you know, kind of big time juice. Oh gosh. I know one of them off the top of my head um, is you go to Iowa state and uh, they have, uh, you know, a premier player in Will McDonald in terms of burst and athleticism. He's a little bit undersized, 241 pounds. We'll see what he weighs there, but um, he can really get off the ball. He can win with spin moves. He can win uh, just turning the corner. Uh, but burst and bend is his calling card. And talking to Matt Campbell, head coach at Iowa, you know, think about the players they've had there, including recently Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. And he said, he said Will McDonald's got the most upside of anybody they've ever had come through there. Um, he was a 206 pound freshman. They couldn't block him in practice. So they let him, you know, put him out there in a game. He has a sack in the first game and like, do we, we need to register him. He's only 206 pounds, but he's our best pass rusher. Uh, so he's got an interesting background, interesting story. Um, but he'd be one that I think would fit what they do. Um, you know, really giving you some juice off the edge. I really like, uh, Felix Anaduke Uzama from Kansas state, He's kind of right in that range for me, too. He can get off the ball. He can win with his hands. Um, he had to play a lot inside the tackle and kind of a four-eye there on the inside shoulder of the tackle, so he didn't get as much runway consistently. But when you widened him out and gave him a runway, he was he was pretty dominant and had a, uh, you know, had a lot of production, eight career force fumbles for him, uh, eight in the last two years. So uh, those guys, to me, would be good fits. Next question comes from Rainier Sabin. Rainier, you may ask your question. Uh, hi, Daniel. Uh, yeah, I was just was wondering what your impression is of uh, Jaden Reed uh, at Michigan State, and uh, and why do you think Michigan hasn't had a skill position player drafted in the first two rounds during the Harbaugh era? Yeah, I mean Harbaugh's just been smash. It's been smash mouth football. That's been his calling card going back to USD to Stanford to. Uh, um, you know, to what he did in the NFL. And I think maybe the biggest surprise is that they haven't had a quarterback because he's done such, you know, a good job previously of not only finding, but developing quarterbacks. Um, so I, I won't get too far ahead of me into the future years, but um, I do think that uh, you know, the quarterback they got there right now is pretty good. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with them in the future with the skill guys. But I would imagine that will be something that will change as they get better quarterbacks. They'll attract better receivers. And, um, and you'll see that, uh, that will change. I think they got a good one now. Uh, with Jaden Reed, he was excellent at the Senior Bowl. He's quick. He can separate. He's got strength after the catch. He's tough. Um, he's a really good blocker for for being a guy that's not real big, just under 5'11", 191 pounds. But he's tough, um, and he gives you the return value as well. So I put him in the third-round uh, area. I think he's got a chance to be a really good uh, number three, maybe even grows into a number two. Thank you. Yep. Next question comes from James Boyd. James, you asked your question. Hey, DJ. Um, obviously, in Indianapolis, there's a lot of talk about quarterbacks, and Will Levis is one that I want to ask you about. Um, what's your general evaluation of him, which seems like a gotcha question because it's like, do you want to <laughs> But then also, um, aside from Josh Allen, what uh, what quarterbacks do you think, current quarterbacks, do you, would you compare him to? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, Josh Allen's kind of what you're hoping um, he's going to be there. I, I would say, you know, the evaluation part of it, if we go there first, you know, you, you start with the sacks and the turnovers. I mean, that's the that's the cause for concern. That's the flag. So you've got to you've got to navigate that and you've got to dig into that if you're a team and and talk to him and 
sit down and watch the tape and go through it and see if you can learn some things. Because not, not all that stuff's going to be on him. When you look at some of the turnovers, there's a good number of tip throws. When you look at the sacks, there's the offensive line wasn't very good in front of him this year, and there's some blown protection. So I'd want to sit there and go through all the sacks and all the turnovers when you sit down with him because it is a big number and it needs to be explained, but I don't think that's all on him. Um, the injury thing is another one, and I mean, I don't want to go through and – try and excuse away, you know, some issues. But when I watched him, I, I didn't, you know, I did not like when he was working to the left side of the field. I thought he was closed off. I thought he threw against himself. And then I come to find out after I've watched the tape that he had a, you know, messed up toe, he's got a messed up shoulder. And I think that impacted that to a degree. Um, but the things that you can't refute, he's got a strong arm. He's a really good athlete, especially the year before when he's healthy. You can see him as a runner. Um, you can use him on some design quarterback run stuff as well as him just organically making things happen. Um, he's tough. He hangs in there and takes shots. Um, there are, you know, there are some times where I wish he would feel things better on the backside. Um, every time he gets hit, it's a surprise party. So I, I wish he just had a little bit better feel to get up and get away from some of those things. Um, but toughness is not an issue at all. He can make every type of throw you want. Um, but to me, it's, it's digging in on some of those issues to, to figure out, you know, what, what the deal is with him, um, and why, you know, some of those things happen in terms of the turnovers and the sacks, other quarterbacks you try and compare him to. I mean, that's tough as an athlete. I think there's some comparison to Ryan Tannehill when he was coming out. Um, I think you look at his frame, Dak Prescott is one. I think that's a fair comp for him. Um, same conference, same build, same toughness. Uh, the stuff on Dak, when you talk to the coaches there, you know, worker, intelligent, tough, winner, like you'll hear all those exact same things said about Will Levis. They rave about him. So, uh, you know, as I think about it, that might end up being the best comparison. Next question comes from Adam Kilgore. Adam, you may ask your question. Uh, hey, Dan, thanks for your time. Um, great time on, on, on this one, because uh, I want to ask about uh, broadly quarterback uh, evaluation. What are the downsides and benefits of using comps for when you're evaluating a draft guy? And specific to this year, could you see teams possibly get in trouble trying to see Josh Allen when they're, you know, going to draft Anthony Richardson or, or Will Levis? Yeah. Just given what an outlier Allen was and the way he improved once he got bullied. Yeah. Um, I, I, you cut out a little bit, but I think I got the gist of it here. Yeah. I mean, comps, I know some people, you know, people on social media for some reason have a, uh, some people have a really, really, big hang up with comps and um, oh you should never compare anybody everybody's their own player that's just the way it works when you're in the draft room and it's not saying there's no apple to apple comparison there's no this is the exact clone of this player all usually it's it's a range in there it's look when I you know I'm hoping this guy's going to end up being Josh Allen um, but there's you know there's also a chance he ends up being another player that you see some aspects of his game. It's just a frame of reference when you're in the room. You're trying to describe him to players, to people in the room that haven't seen them yet, um, and that gives them a good visual of okay, I can kind of see this person in my mind now that you're describing him. Uh, maybe it's just he runs like this player, or maybe it's just you know his off schedule stuff reminds me of that player. But there's always going to be comparisons. Now, in terms of using the outliers. You know, Josh Allen for being somebody who, you know, didn't have the best accuracy coming out and uh, had some turnovers. 
you can get, yeah, you can get in trouble when you, you compare everybody to that. I know for, you know, being in the league, when Drew Brees just got into the league, every undersized quarterback for the next 10 years, if you liked him, he was Drew Brees. And it turned out none of them were Drew Brees. He was a one of one. So um, I, I totally get that, that you can get in danger of, of thinking that that's, uh, you know, that Josh Allens are everywhere because they're hard to find. Next question comes from Nathan Baird. Nathan, you may ask a question. Hey, Daniel, thanks a lot. I wanted to ask about the the two offensive tackles from Ohio State. And one you already yeah. kind of mentioned in passing, Paris Johnson Jr. And, uh, and maybe a lack of strength there. Do you feel like only having one year at left tackle is having any effect on his draft evaluation right now? And for Dewan Jones, obviously he had a good uh, senior bowl, really impressive senior bowl. Is he someone who could potentially still rise up to the bottom of the first round? Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to have seen him more in a senior bowl. He had a dominant uh, day or two, and he was gone because um, he got a little bit uh, nicked up there. So, but yeah, he if I if I start there with him, for those that don't know about him, he's six eight, three hundred seventy five pounds. He's got thirty six and five inch okay. arms, which is just it's insane. Um, it's ridiculous how long he is. So. Um, that's where you start with with the size and the frame now he is an avalanche in the run game when he can block down you're not you get in his way you're going to get collapsed you're not going to be able to stop that from happening he's just too big he's too massive he's too strong um he's got average foot quickness the struggles that he has are are in space and then when he has to redirect one of the things at the senior bowl he did really well because a lot of people got the bright idea they were going to try and, and and bull rush and rush through the chest of the 375 pound guy, which did not work well. And then if they tried to rush with speed, he uses those long arms and just just widens them out and rides them by. His issues arise when he has to redirect. So when you get up the field and he has to redirect back inside, that's kind of been a little bit of his kryptonite. And you saw it with with massive guys. It's always going to be the case with Falele the year before from Minnesota. Same thing. Um, he just didn't really get tested with that uh, at the senior bowl, but that's the, you know, that's the one concern there. That's the one issue. And then with Paris, you know, if he would have gone back, got a little bit stronger, I think you're talking about somebody that could have been a top five pick next year. Cause he's got that type of ability. He's got the frame, he's got the quickness. Um, he just needs to get a little bit stronger and play a little bit lower. Uh, but there is a ton to work with there. You know, when I say the redirect issues with Dewan Jones, Paris Johnson can redirect fluidly easily um he's an outstanding athlete so uh, that was kind of the one knock on him is just playing a little bit lower consistently and just getting a little bit stronger so those are the two concerns next question comes from chris franklin chris you may ask your question hey daniel the eagles have shown a willingness to trade up and back and maneuver up and down the draft board when if they were to move back, say to like 14, 15, that range, who is a guy do you think would fit them? And also how much value does that 30th pick have for them this year? Yeah, I think that 30th pick's great. Um, um, I, I think there's tremendous value uh there in that pick. When I look at at trading back to 14 or 15 and in places that they could go, I mean you kind of get out of that first group of edge rushers. I don't think Van S that might be potentially uh, uh, you could see him there. I think there's a chance he could be gone by then, but the Iowa edge rusher would be one. I would think at that point in time, I'd feel good about turning in that card. Um, any of those three corners were there. Uh, you know, I'd feel great about it with Gonzalez uh, Porter or Witherspoon somehow made it there. Um, those would be, uh, those would be home run picks. So those are some of the guys that, 
that I would think in a, in a trade back scenario that could make some sense there. Thank you. Yep. Next question comes from Matt Perino. Matt, you may ask your question. <clears throat> Matt. All right, we'll go to the next one. Uh, next question comes from Jeff Nowak. Jeff, you may ask your question. Hey, hey yeah. DJ, thanks for doing this. Um, you know, I'll keep this one simple. Obviously, down here with the Saints, we got a late start on the uh, draft process with the mm -hmm. draft pick coming in late. Um, but it does seem in the back end of any draft, there's a lot of fluidity. And I'm just curious, you know, are there any players who you kind of see as not getting a ton of first-round draft buzz right now who might go out to the Combine next week and have a great workout and suddenly they're all over everyone's board? Yeah, you know, it's I don't keep up with as many of the mock drafts, I guess. So it's it's hard to say of guys that I think that, you know, because I, you know, I Kalaji Yancey from from Pitt is really, really dynamic. Um, I got to him a little bit later on in the process, but um he's he's not gonna fit everybody because he's an undersized defensive tackle, but he's a six footer at 280 pounds. He's got a lot of, you know, I know everybody's going to compare him to Aaron Donald because he's at Pitt and, and that's where Aaron Donald played. It reminds me kind of a little bit more of Ed Oliver, uh, but really, really twitchy, really dynamic. He can shoot gaps. Um, you can see him do some freaky stuff with his explosiveness. He just, you know, he's, he's undersized. He gets caught at times and gets washed and he's not, you know, he's not going to fit everybody, but if you're looking for that pure three technique and you want to play up the field, um, he's somebody that it's going to, he's going to test really well. Um, he'll put on a show and I think you'll see him start to garner some attention there to, to move up there into the first round. Um, I'll give you a couple other names that I think could be on the move up there. Um, talked about those interior linemen, um, Jack Campbell, a linebacker from Iowa is going to be huge. He's going to be six, four, 250 pounds. He's going to probably run the four fives. He could start getting some love and some talk about him. Uh, up there in the first round, um, you know, I, you know, wide receiver wise, you know, I don't think he'll get all the way to the first round, but I, I think Cedric Tillman from Tennessee is probably a name people will be talking a lot more about after the combine as he's going to be 215 plus pounds, six, two plus he's going to run, you know, really fast. Um, and he's somebody I think you'll see garnering some attention as well. We'll go back to Matt Perino, Matt, you may ask a question. Hi, uh, Daniel. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I got you. Uh, thank you for taking some time. We appreciate it. Um, I don't think any uh, Bills fan will have a problem with a plug-and-play interior offensive lineman like you had in your mock draft. But I'm curious, when you're looking at, the, at this top-of-the-line wide receivers in this draft, the Bills are looking in that direction. Is there one in particular that you think, if Brandon Bean was to select one of them, fits in with what they have in Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis already? Yeah, I mean, um, gosh, that's a, that's a good question in terms of exactly how they how they fit in there. You know, Smith and Jigbo would probably be one that I would think would would be a nice compliment there. If you're, you know, looking for somebody who can do some of that in the middle of the field, he gives you that. If you Gabe can play more over the top and Diggs kind of does everything, that would be one I would think that uh, you know would be a really good fit there as a really good player. I I love Zay Flowers. I know he's not the biggest guy in the world at, at five, a little over five nine, one hundred and eighty two pounds, but he's a clone to T Y Hilton. We actually I I pulled this up today. When you look at their numbers, um, 
T.Y. Hilton and uh, and Zay Flowers. It's it is uh, Flowers is five nine and a half. Hilton's five nine and a half. Flowers one hundred eighty two pounds. Hilton one hundred eighty three pounds. Wingspan seventy three and a half to seventy three and an eighth. Um, you know, we'll see the rest of the testing when they run and all that. But they're like, it's one of those deals when you watch him, like, gosh, he reminds me just of T.Y. Hilton. And then when you pull the numbers, they're like twins. So um, I think he's a he's a great player, and I think he's going to go you know, somewhere into the late first, into the early second round, but uh, we'll see how he runs, but I'm a big fan of his. Next question comes from Michael Gilkin. Michael, you may ask your question. Hey, GJ. Uh, last year, there was a lot of talk about Tyler Smith out of Tulsa and what it would look like if he just stayed in college for a year. He had the physicality, he had the athleticism, but he was just raw technically. After his rookie season, I was curious if he was to be in this draft class with where he is technically today, where would he fit? And then is that narrative of a guy in this particular draft class who, boy, if he just stayed a year, he would really shoot up into the early first round, but he's not there at this stage in his development. Yeah, he'd be the first offensive lineman picked um, if he were to enter in the draft after what we've seen this year because, the you know, you nailed it. I mean, the ability was all in there. The he needed to dial some things back a little bit, obviously, with the penalties that he had ultra, ultra aggressive, which led to some balance issues as well. But he's played more under control. Uh, he played great this year. So, yeah, when you look at his combination of athleticism, physicality, all those things, he'd, he'd probably, and I feel pretty confident saying he'd be the first offensive lineman picked in this draft. So, um, that was uh, it was a good pick and a good job of developing him by the Cowboys this year in terms of guys that still have some you know, still have some work to do in terms of their development. You know, Jalen Duncan from Maryland, and I don't even remember if he was a a junior or not, but he, you know, he's at the senior bowl. So I don't know if he graduated earlier, what his deal was, but uh, um, I don't think he was, but he's, he's somebody that I think is a year away. Like he's, it's all in there. It's all in his body. He's got a ton of ability. He's very athletic. He's going to test. I would be shocked if he doesn't test extremely well. Um, but he's, you know, I know he's been uh, working with Duke Manyweather, does a great job there in Dallas, and you can already see him him making strides there. Uh, but I think his his best football is in the future, not in the uh, not in the past. Thank you. Next question comes from John McMullen. John, you may ask a question. Hey, DJ, thanks for doing this. Um, wanted to uh, kind of talk to you about the Eagles and the running back position. And you know, the history, uh, you talked <laughs> a little bit about uh, Bijan before. Uh, what do you think his floor is number one, and then some running backs, maybe at, at 62, where the Eagles go in the, in the second round? Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of his floor as a player, uh, his floor as as where he could drop. I know you have oh, top yeah. five, but I mean, you kind of talk. Yeah, I, I mean, he's impossible to peg of where, you know, you know, where he could end up going. I, I think he's one of four or five best players in the whole draft. So, you know, it and I know I know the Eagles history and I know they don't take linebackers, they don't take running backs in the first round. But I'm you know, I'm looking at a team, you know, it's hard to find a team that's uh you know, let's put together a better roster than the Eagles. I don't think there is one, but I think that San Francisco's done a really, really good job, and I think they're right there with them. And I look at them as a team that that uh, traded resources and obviously dedicated a lot of money towards Christian McCaffrey. And I saw what Christian McCaffrey did in that offense, where they already had a bunch of good players, and how he took it to a whole nother level. 
And I think, man, I know, I know, I know, I know how he doesn't take running backs. I know how he doesn't take linebackers. But when you look at that offense with Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard, and and all of a sudden you drop in B. John Robinson into that mix, holy moly. Um, that would be – it would be fun to watch. He's a He is a special, special player, one of the best backs we've seen in the last several years. So – I, you know, to answer your question, and it doesn't help anybody, but I got no clue where he's going to go. I just know I think he's one of the best players in the draft. Next question comes from Jonathan Heitritter. Jonathan, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, how's it going? Good, man. Good. So, with uh, Brian Brzee from Clemson, he's being rated as a top 10, top 15 prospect by most. Uh, most uh, scouting agencies out there, but with you talking on your podcast earlier, you said that he's kind of split with different uh, executives and different teams across the league. Go in a little bit more about why teams are so split on him based on his talent, but also on some of his concerns. Yeah, no, he's uh he's to me, he's a tough player to evaluate because you see flashes of it. You see some of the flashes of the quickness. I know he's obviously, you know, he's battled the injuries. I think there's some stiffness there and maybe that's, you know, some of it is, is injury related, um, but he's not the most loose athlete. Um, they move him around up and down the line of scrimmage, but uh, you know, I just, I didn't see somebody that was, that was really, really uh, explosive and fluid and loose. Like I thought he was kind of more of a tight athlete, you know, who's got some power, um, but you know, that's why I think you get into a little bit of a, uh, you know, a tough evaluation there. And I have talked to teams that really like him. And I've talked to teams that, that you know, aren't nearly as high of and don't see him as a first-round player. So it'll be interesting to see when it's all said and done. I'm excited to see him move. That's one of the things uh, about the combine, not to get on my soapbox here, but I know, you know, there's people who have been out there and have said, oh, the combine doesn't have value and it's just the underwear Olympics. You know, this is a great example uh, of a player that I just want to, I haven't seen him move around in person. And I'm sure there's people in, in scouting departments and, and GMs and head coaches that has some questions there as well. And to get out there and to see him with your own eyes after he's had time to get healthy and train, uh, you know, somebody like that to see those guys move in person, it, it does have value. So I'm looking forward to seeing him in Indy. Next question comes from Kari Thompson. Kari, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ. Um, the Patriots could use some cornerback help as well. I know we we kind of talk a lot about tackles here, but if there is no uh, – if they don't have a path to a tackle at number 14, might they look for a corner there? And if they don't, where else could they get some good cornerback depth? Yeah, it's a good corner group. I think it's a better corner group than the receiver group. Um uh, this year, when I look at it, I've got 20, 20 corners with like top three round grades, which is a big number. Um, I think it's a I think it's a really good group of corners. So if you're at 14, you know, I've, I've kind of talked about those big three for me. It's Witherspoon, Porter and Gonzalez, whatever order you want to put them in. Um, and then when you want to get out of that range, you know, to me, let's see when they're when is their next pick? The next pick is at 46. So if you're looking at pick 46, I think, uh, you know, Ringo from Georgia's gone. Banks from Maryland's prob probably gone. Uh, you're looking at Tyreek Stevenson. You're looking at DJ Turner from Michigan. Um, Jartavius Martin is, is a nickel from Illinois. He's a really good player. Um, but that's probably like that type of a group. Riley Moss from Iowa, maybe a little bit after that. Um, he's going to fly. He's going to run really, really well. Julius Brents from Kansas State. Um, those are just some of the names I would I would tick off there that I think are 
are really good players. But, you know, when I talk about those corners carrying top three round grades, I think those guys are all starters. Um, you know, whether you want to, you know, say he's a number two corner or whatever, he's, he's out on the field when the, when the, uh, when the starting lineup rolls out there, I think there's 20 of those guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Next question comes from Johnny McGonigal. Johnny, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, uh, you know, Penn State has seven guys uh, at the combine, Joey Porter, uh, Parker Washington, Jair Brown being the big three there. Uh, what intrigues you about those three? And is there an under the radar Penn Stater there that like, has already maybe caught your eye in evaluations or might catch your eye uh, next week? Sure. Uh, well, I know one thing, Penn State guys are going to run fast because they do it every year at the combine. Um, I don't know. Yeah, again, I always have to look it up and I, I apologize for not having it in front of me, but I always like to give their strength coach never met him a day in my life, but whoever he is, he does a heck of a job because these Penn state kids fly at the combine every year. Uh, but Joey Porter, you know, outside corner, rare length. He can work through wide receivers to get to the ball. He can high point it. He's more of, you know, he's more play the ball, poke it away, you know, get your hands on the football. I wish he'd finish a little bit better at catch more of them. Uh, but he's always he's always in a good position, and even when he's out of phase, his length allows him to to close that down. Uh, takes him about three steps to build the speed, but once he gets those three steps going, he's uh, he's rolling. Um, so he's a he's a really good player. Uh, Jair, Jair Brown is one that I finished up since my last uh, top fifty. He'll he'll move into my top fifty. I think he's my top safety uh, in the entire draft. He's got corner skill, obviously the history there. He can play in the middle of the field. He's got ball production. He can you can drop him down low if you want. Um, he's tough. He's physical. You see the Auburn game. What he does is a rusher there with a sack and the force fumble on that one. He can cover tight ends. He, he can do everything. He's a really good player. Um, he's he's uh, one of my favorite guys to watch in this draft. And everything I've heard about him character wise is off the charts. So uh, I'm a big fan of his. And then uh, if you're looking for a guy that's uh, maybe off the uh, or strange, I guess you want to talk about too is a tight end. He's uh, he's flexed out. He's uh, you know, he's able to create some separation with lean into guys at the top of routes. Got a good feel for that. He can break tackles. Not much of a make miss guy after the catch. Um, but another name of a Penn Stater that I kind of liked was the, the wideout Mitchell Tinsley, who's got speed. He's got snap out of the break. He's a hands catcher. He tacks the ball. Um, mix in a little stiff arm. He's got some toughness after the catch. I thought he was a really good player who I didn't really hear anything about or know much about before I popped on the tape, but I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Thank you. Yep. Next question comes from Martin Frank. Martin, you may ask your question. Hey, Daniel. Um, I was wondering, like, you know, with the Eagles' second first-round pick at number 30, I think you mentioned earlier it's tremendous value. Is – is that because um, you can see them like trading back, you know, maybe getting some extra picks in rounds four, five, and six, not to mention a second rounder? And if so, like, who are some of the guys in the second round that, you know, would interest them? Thanks. Sorry, I, I my ear thing cut out again. Was it the Eagles? Is that where you were talking? Yeah, with their second first round pick at number 30. Yeah, yeah. Um, to, trade, to trade out and some some options there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, you know, if you're not going to take a running back there at 30 and, you know, you want to run him back, you can, you can trade back and we're, you know, again, under the assumption that you're going to lose your running back and free agency and Miles Sanders. So if, if we want to just play that game, you trade back on that one. If you collect, if you collect an extra third round pick in this draft, I think you're going to get a starting running back and you get a really good player. 
Um, you know, Tajay Spears from Tulane. You've got um, Kendra Miller from TCU. Israel uh, Abanaconda from Pitt has got big time juice. So th- those are just a few names. I mean, again, if we want to put a number on it, the running back group is really deep. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. I've got 13 running backs that I gave, you know, top three round grade. Those are like starter level players, which means not all those guys, because the value of position are going to go in the third round. Some of these guys are going to go in the fourth and the fifth round this year. Um, so you're going to get good players. The other back from Texas, Roshan Johnson's a good player, 225 pounds. Um, he's got speed. Gosh, you can use him in the kickoff game as well. So that's one of those scenarios where if you're trying to collect an extra third, fourth round pick, I think this year there's real value, especially if it marries up with one of your needs, you know, tight end running back. If you, if you need tight ends and running backs, to me, the sweet spot is the third, fourth round, because I think you're getting a second round type player in a traditional year. They're really, really good. Next question comes from Doug Farrar. Doug, you may ask your question. Doug? All right, we'll go to the next one. Uh, next I'm question. sorry, I, I just oh. unmuted. My apologies. Yep. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, Daniel, thanks for doing this. I had a couple questions about Hendon Hooker for you. Um, yeah. How important are the medicals? Um, do you have any concerns about the age and whatnot and all the, all the things that come up and how much do you ascribe to the theory that, you know, it was all so much of it was dependent on, uh, Josh Hoople's offense and he's going to suffer a rough transition to the NFL. Just what are your overall thoughts on him? Yeah. And for those that haven't seen them, him play or have seen Tennessee play, they, they spread you from sea to shining sea. I mean, they are about two yards from the sideline, uh, it looks like when you're watching them on each uh, on each snap, where they spread you all the way out. Uh, I, I will, you know, side note, but when you're doing the receiver uh, in Hyatt who can fly, when you're watching him, SEC defenses for some reason kept trying to uh, to bring a safety in the slot where he had the whole field to work, and he just ran by him repeatedly. Uh, which which uh, is some of the concern people have with Hooker is that okay, this is so spread out. The NFL game isn't like this, and it, it's not going to be as defined in terms of your reads. Um, he was, you know, everything out with him is in that offense is is off play action. He was 51.5% of the snaps. There's some form of play action where you're kind of riding the back and raising up and firing as you try and man, try and manipulate those linebackers. So that was the most of any quarterback at the combine. So uh, those are some of the, the offense concerns and how that relates and how that translates to the next level. I will just say when you're evaluating him, the accuracy, the decision-making, the poise, the athleticism to be able to move around and create uh, with his legs to throw as well as to run, all those things are all there. So if we just put the offense to one side and say he's got all these skills and all that is 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 there for you to see. So there's going to be an adjustment. I know the age, I know, you know. The age doesn't bother me as much uh, as maybe some other people. I think a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of team builders are looking four and five years at a time. He's 25 years old and we've got quarterbacks, you know, with the way the league is right now, they're playing into their late thirties. And obviously Tom was the unicorn going much later than that. But I, I think you could have a nice long run. If you told me you draft him and hooker in the second round and you, he's your starting quarterback for seven, eight really good years. I think you take it. Um, so you got to do your homework on the medical stuff. That's uh, it's above my pay grade and see if you're comfortable there. Uh, but everything I've heard from an intangible standpoint is really good. 
The intelligence stuff is is excellent. So while there'll be an adjustment period, I think he'll be able to handle it. And I think he has all the skills to be successful. I, you know, comparison wise, as a thrower, he reminded me of Bradford. Um, he doesn't have a huge, huge arm, but it's good enough. But obviously he's a lot more athletic. But I just thought when Bradford was coming out, it was accuracy, it was decision making. And obviously he was the first overall pick. So um, I think Hendon Hooker's got a chance to be a, a real value pick for someone. If I can make this a bit of a Tennessee festival, where are you with Hyatt as a complete receiver? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously the vertical stuff is what he does best. Um, but you know, I, I've seen him, I've seen him flash the ability to get in and out of breaks. He just doesn't do a ton of it. Um, so my thing with him is I think there's a high floor because worst case scenario, he's gonna he's gonna stretch the field, he's gonna take the top off of defenses. You're gonna be able to put him in the slot, you're gonna be able to run deep overs, you can run verticals. Um, and you can just pitch him the ball and, and let him do some things after the catch with his speed. Now he's not, he's not super elusive. He's going to need work to develop the full route tree. That's not going to happen right away, but I just think in the immediate term, you've got an elite field stretcher. So, um, you know, I think you got to know what you're buying there and, and know, um, you know, what that role is going to be. If you're going to bring him in there and ask him to be, you know, Keenan Allen, then he, that's not going to work because that's not who he is. Next question comes from Stephanie Cataret. Stephanie, you may ask your question. Hi, DJ. Thanks for uh, taking the time. Uh, you talked briefly about Matthew Bergeron earlier. Uh, you seem pretty high on him. Just curious to know what do you think are his best attributes and if you think he'll uh, play tackle or guard at the next level. And my second question would be about City So and yeah. how do you like his chances of getting drafted? Yeah, good, good stuff. Um, I am a, a fan of both those guys, actually, at different levels of the draft. But Bergeron, I think he can play left tackle. Um, you know, he plays with a, with a good base for the most part. Miles Murphy got him once in the in the Clemson game. But he does a really good job of staying attached to blocks. Um, he's got lateral quickness. Um, you know, I, I think he's a really solid player. You'll see him move in space, does some good things. You know, occasionally he's a little bit late off the snap, which you can figure out what the heck that's all about. But, uh, you know, that should be able to be solved. But, uh, yeah, no, I think he's got tackle movement skills. I think he can play tackle. I think he can stay at tackle. Um, I know some, you know, some might say, okay, you kick him inside the guard. I think he could do that. But I didn't see anything with him um, that would be a reason why I would move him. I, I would I would let him uh, continue to play there. City So, I actually called a buddy with a team the other day about him because I'm just kind of going through and it's been late nights for the last few weeks, just trying to get all this tape done to watch all these guys for the combine. And it starts to almost be like you're watching the Eminem video after a while where they all start looking exactly the same and you're just looking for somebody to pop and, uh, and city. So popped off for me when I watched the Arizona state game, he's, you know, as a left guard there at Eastern Michigan, he's huge. He's almost six, five, he's 329 pounds. He's got knockoff power. He's got upper torque. Um, you could see him. I think I posted one of the plays of a combo block against Arizona State uh, where you can see him move and redirect in space. And he gives up his chest a lot in pass protection, which I don't love, but he's so dang massive and strong that he's able to absorb it. Um, the team I talked to him, they were lower on him. They're actually going to go back and do more work after I talked to him and sent him a couple plays via text message. But I'm like, this guy's 330 pounds. He can move and he's powerful. Um, I, I thought he'd be like a fifth round pick. Um, so we'll see where he ends up going, how he moves around at the combine. Um, uh, maybe it was just case where I, it was late at night and I was uh, looking for, for something that wasn't there, but I actually really liked him. 
Next question comes from Joey Wagner. Joey, you may ask your question. Hey, DJ, you've gone and talked about Devin Witherspoon. What is it about him that you like? And then if I could, another Illinois player with Jarkavius Martin. I know you mentioned him. What stands out about what he does? Yeah, I'm a I, I'm a big fan of the of the guys they've got in the secondary there at Illinois. Uh, they're all really good players. But Witherspoon, when you first popped him on, is just blown away with the instincts and just the natural feel and awareness, route recognition. He sees things before they develop. Sometimes you can see guys that have the athletic ability, and sometimes you see guys that really have studied film and they know how to play, and it's not common when you see guys that have all that wrapped up together. He does. He's he's a complete package that way. I mean, I wish he was 200 pounds. He's not going to be. He's going to be a little bit lighter. Um, but he he just pulls a trigger. He does not he does not play with any hesitation. He plays with ultimate aggressiveness and confidence and urgency. Um, and then you say that and you're like, okay, well, let's see what happens when they hit him with double moves. Cause sometimes you, you can take advantage of guys that are that are making plays on the ball. He doesn't fall for it. He's uh he's really, really instinctive that way. He's outstanding in zone. There's a play in the red zone. I want to say it was Virginia who they're playing. I have to go back and look at my notes, but th- there's a play where he's in the flat. He's in the flat as a flat defender. That's where his responsibility lies. He just reads the quarterback's eyes. He comes off of the flat about the, you know, the front of the end zone, maybe the five-yard line, and he ends up in the back of the end zone breaking up a pass on a crosser just because he was reading the quarterback's mail. He just got outstanding eyes, quickness, and uh, and ball skills. And I like the fact that he plays with an edge. And, you know, I talk, I like to talk to the guys that have been training with him, uh, with these guys, and kind of get some feedback character-wise, personality-wise. And they're like, this guy's just got really, really good Florida swag. Like, he brings good energy. Reminds me kind of of the way, you know, we had a lot of Miami players when I was with the Ravens. He's got that kind of a good Miami vibe. So I'm a Witherspoon fan. I love his game. Uh, when you look at uh, Jartavis Martin, I think he's going to be a day one starting nickel. He's quick. He's fluid. He can change directions. Um, he he he's a physical hitter. He shows you his toughness. I, I'm just curious to see what the pure speed is. Um, that's the only the only box left for him to check is is the speed part. But I thought he was somebody that could come in uh, and be a really good nickel right away. Next question comes from Owen Warden. Owen, you may ask your question. Hey DJ, how are you? Good man. Great to talk to you. Um, I wanted to ask, um, Georgia's got another big time class, another 12 going to the combine this year. Um, I wanted to get your evaluations on a few guys like Chris Smith, Kenny McIntosh, and Nolan Smith. And then in addition to Smith, um, what do you think about a guy like Jared Verse returning back to Florida State and how that affected the edge rusher class as a whole? Well, hats off to to Florida State because that was a heck of a coup to get that dude to come back because I had already done him uh and watched his tape and he's outstanding so there's two there's two guys and i think it's you know we're seeing more of that now uh and i think some of it's going to be nil related um and i you know i think that's a good thing guys go back continue to develop get better it's good for the colleges it gives the nfl a better product when they arrive i don't have any problem with that at all but uh the left tackle from penn state going back verse going back those guys are great players already and they're going to be even better players next year so gets a win for the school and i think ultimately a win for the league. Uh, some of the other guys you're asking about, Nolan Smith, he reminds me of Hassan Reddick coming out. I pulled their numbers too. We'll have that at the combine, but you know, there's some similarities there in terms of uh, of how big they are and how they move around. So we'll see what that looks like there. But he's just, I just wrote down, he's just 
juicy. I mean, he's got big time juice and burst coming off the edge. He can change directions. He's got a good feel uh, at the top of his rush. He can bend and close. He'll grab the wrist. He's got, you know, a really good job of, of controlling the wrist of opponents. One of the plays with him, you're watching Auburn. It's special teams. They run a fake punt. He sniffs it out, makes a play. Um, just showed you the overall football player that he is. Just a, a really good player. Uh, Christopher Smith, you know, it'll be it'll be big for him, no pun intended, to see if he can add some weight. He was 188 pounds at the All-Star game. Um, he's a little undersized there. You want your safeties to be a little bit bigger than that. But he's a playmaker. He plays fast. He's got range from the middle of the field. He has no wasted movement. Again, plays with confidence, quick to read and drive. He sits there flat-footed and then drives on the ball. Unfortunately, he was one of Hyatt's uh, victims there getting vertical uh, from the slot. We did that to everybody. But uh, um, he's he's a, he's a really, really instinctive player who plays fast. I guess the, the expectation is he's not going to maybe run as fast as you think. Uh, but I'd be more curious to see if you can add a little bit on the, on the frame there. He was 188 pounds. What was the uh, – who was the other one you want to know about? Uh, Kenny McIntosh. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, you know, what he does in the passing game – the way he moves around, you know, it's kind of you see some Tony Pollard type stuff with him, maybe not without that elite, elite top speed, uh, but he's an excellent route runner. You know, they'll use him on some jet sweeps. He's got burst. He can make you miss. I think he's more comfortable getting outside as a runner than maybe uh, banging away inside. Um, and he's got to work in pass protection where he, he likes to go low and he's whiffed a couple times. But uh, I love the value he has on third down, get out of the backfield, make plays. Thank next you. question. Next question comes from Zach Berman. Zach, you may ask your question. Hey, Daniel, how do you find that teams operate or, or I guess navigate the draft differently when they are a contending team as opposed to building a contending roster? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're you, know, you get to different places of, of uh, trying to get your foundational pieces in place. Um, and then and then it's it's obviously a lot easier once you have the quarterback in place. And then once you have a couple of those building blocks in place, then you have the, you know, it's a lot easier to find those other pieces, but that's kind of where everybody, where everybody starts. And I think, you know, initially it's, you gotta, you want to line up in place. So you want to have as, you want to eliminate as many of the, of the reject players from your group as you can have competent NFL players. And then once you kind of reach the point where you've got a competent team, you've got to have blue players, you got to have difference makers, um, and you've got to have, you know, eight to 10 of them. So I think that's kind of the, the way of doing it. And I think most teams are going to start quarterback and, and then the foundation pieces up front on the offense and defensive line. And, and that's where you are, but man, it's, you know, you look, you look at teams like the chiefs, look at teams like the 49ers, you look at teams like the Eagles and, I mean, like the Eagles, they basically redshirted the draft class last year. They had so much roster depth, and they're going to lose a bunch of free agents, and they're going to have guys ready waiting in the wings to come right in there. And then you look at some other teams and kind of like where the Bears are right now, and, you know, gosh, you're just trying to get a competent group out there. Um, so it, it, you, it, you got to kind of crawl before you walk there. Next question comes from Daniel Fliff. Daniel, you may ask your question. Hey, I was just wondering, um, in each of your first two mocks, you've had the Falcons drafting Van Ness at pick eight. Um, what is it about his fit with the Falcons that you're particularly um, keen on? And can you consider them or would you consider them taking a quarterback at pick eight? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that there's going to be a quarterback there. I think when it's all said and done, I, in mock drafts, especially before free agency, I just don't do trades because it just gets all messy. Um, but I think when it's all said and done, and we'll you know no more coming out of the combine and, and as we get through the quarterback carousel of free agency. But I think there's a chance that all those quarterbacks go. So um, in terms of Van Ness, it's, it's pretty simple, really. I just, you know, they're 31st in sacks. They're 31st and third down. I feel like they've been searching for edge rush forever. Um, and when you just kind of stack up the board where it is, I think he offers them kind of the upside there. He's got he's got some real power. He's got some real twitch, and he's just figuring out what he's doing. So I, I think you can you have a good player right now, and you can chase some of the upside with him as well. Um, but yeah, no doubt they've got to figure out the quarterback thing. But uh, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that sitting right where they are. Next question comes from Palmer with Dogs HQ. Palmer, you may ask your question. Hey, wanted to ask about Keely Ringo and Stetson Bennett, obviously guys that you don't necessarily have in the first round, but uh, Keely with first round traits and Stetson, a, a later guy in the, in the quarterback class. Yeah. I mean, Keely's going to be, I don't want to say polarizing. I just think he's going to fit certain teams and he's not going to necessarily fit others. And I think there's a real chance he, you know, he goes in the first round, especially when he puts on a show, when he runs, he's obviously track background. He's going to be six to 200 pounds. He's going to fly. Um, I think, uh, you know, I'm curious to see him in some of the change of direction stuff. He's a little rigid. He's a little bit tight. I think if you're a cover three team, you're going to love him. Um, he's going to fit beautifully with that. And he's physical and tough. He can find and play the ball. He just got to be in phase to be able to find and play it. You know, sometimes there's a little too much separation because he's a little sticky and he's a little bit tight. Um, but you know, I, I like him as a player. I mean, you watch him as a gunner, you watch him on kickoff. That tells you a lot about a guy of that stature, that type of recruit, that type of reputation as a, as a defensive player to, um, you know, to not only be on teams, but to be, you know, playing with maximum effort and, uh, and be a good player on special teams. I think it tells you a lot about him and his makeup. So uh, I think there's a real chance he goes in the first round. He won't get out of the early part of the second round. Um, you know, if, if that were to be the case, if he doesn't go round one, Stetson Bennett is a tricky one. Um, obviously the age is we talked about a little bit earlier with Hendon Hooker. You've got that as well, but, Gosh, the guy's won two national championships. Um, he's he's shown the ability to make a lot of different throws. He's just, to me, he's, he's streaky as a thrower. Like, he's got some bad misses where you'll see, you know, you'll see warm burners on little flat routes and swing routes and just like, what was that? And then you'll see him squeeze the ball in tight windows uh, later on in that same game. So he's just a little bit streaky, a little bit inconsistent there. Obviously, you know, really undersized guy. But, you know, I was talking with a GM – Gosh, it had to be over a month ago, and he just said, "If Bryce Young can be the first overall pick at his size, then why are, why is Stetson Bennett, you know, talked about as a sixth or seventh round pick at his size?" I said, "Well, if he's a better player." He goes, "No, I get that, but I'm just saying, is the gap is it six rounds wide? You know, or, you know, or, or could you take him in the third, fourth round? Uh, you know, I don't know. I think most teams have him on day three, uh, but he'll be an interesting test case, uh, no doubt." Next question comes from RJ. RJ, you may ask your question. Hey, Daniel, I wanted to ask you about a couple uh, USC guys, um, Andrew Voorhees, and then in a strong cornerback group, uh, what are your thoughts on Makai Blackman? Sure. Um, first of all, I don't think those guys, I mean, it's probably good that Dion came a year later, right? Cause they lose Christian Gonzalez and Makai Blackman out of Colorado. They both go on to Oregon, USC and, uh, and played really, really well. So if I start there with Blackman, 
He's, uh, you know, he's got average size, he's a little over, a little under 5'11", 182 pounds. Um, he's an efficient mover and off cover. He's got a smooth pedal. He does a good job of staying in phase, staying connected. Uh, there's times he gets a little bit grabby uh, at, at the, uh, you know, down the field just to work on that a little bit. But, you know, he had one of the best interceptions of anybody in this draft class, his red zone interception against Stanford in that game where he, he pops up in the air, pops the ball up, and ends up finishing it, uh, making a play there. It's a good cornerback class. I'm curious to see how truly, truly fast he is. Um, but he's somebody that I have kind of in that fifth round range is where I have him in a really good uh, class, fifth, sixth round. So we'll see where he ends up going. And then Voorhees is a you know big, powerful guy. Uh, he's gonna be over six five, over three twenty. I think he's gonna he's gonna bench a zillion times, but he's got real upper power, upper torque. Um, he'll flash the ability to really finish guys. Um, I thought the UCLA game, he struggled some against their power. You don't see, you know, it's hard in some of these conferences, I'm not picking on the PAC 12, it just is what it is, but you don't see a lot of NFL defensive linemen. So you have to cherry pick the right games to be able to see them go up against real powerful, you know, NFL type players along that defensive front. Um, and, uh, there was times I thought in that UCLA game, he got a little bit high and, and kind of got tugged and pulled and pushed around a little bit. And some of the balance showed up, but, uh, you know, I, I think to me, I know I wouldn't be shocked if he, if he snuck into day two, he's early day three for me uh, of where I have him, but, uh, he's played a lot of football there at USC. Um, it'll be, you know, one of the benefits and you're asking it, but one of the benefits of this realignment is. I am looking forward to seeing USC um, in the Big Ten because you'll get to see them play against a lot more NFL players in the trenches. I think not only will that be good to evaluate them, it will probably be good for USC. I think they'll be able to attract more guys because it's a different game. It's just a different game in that conference. Next question comes from Jacob Serrano. Jacob, you want to ask your question? Hey, Daniel, I appreciate you taking the time out and hope you're doing well. Um, First, I, I know we talked a lot about the corners, uh, but I do want to go back into the defensive backs for a second. You have about five corners going in the first round of your latest mock draft. <clears throat> After seeing what Sauce Gardner and Tariq Willen did last season, I know they're a bit outliers. I wanted to see your projections for this group as a whole. I know we talked about a lot already, but yeah. what is the floor and the ceiling for this group? And on top of that, what do you see as a safety position this year um, as a whole? Yeah, the cornerback group, you know, as I mentioned, I think I got 20 guys with top three round grades. So I think it's a really good group. Now I had a, a, a higher grade on Sauce Gardner than anybody in this draft class. I, you know, I was a big Sauce Gardner fan. So I, I don't put anybody in his class in this one. I don't think there's a Patrick Sertan in this class. Um, I, I would have probably the similar grade on Witherspoon, even though he's a totally different player. Um, I'd have a similar grade on Witherspoon to the uh Corner that went to uh, to Carolina. Now I'm name's going to escape me. What was his name? Yeah, do me a solid on that one. Somebody's going to do me a solid on that one anyways. Uh, oh, J.C. Horn. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, but, yeah, I'd have a similar grade there. So I don't think there's the top-end guys like that. I love Witherspoon, um, but I wouldn't put him up there with, you know, with Gardner or Patrick Sertan. And then, you know, depth-wise, I, I think there's – I think there's a sweet spot, and I think you can look at different positions and find sweet spots. And, again, I think – I would love to have third round picks and need corners, running backs, tight ends. I think there's, you know, it's just a really, really good group to choose from there. And I think this is uh you know, this is a good group of guys in in that area. Safety wise, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's a great group. I love the Penn State safety, but he's gonna be probably towards the back end of my top 50, maybe 30s, early 40s, somewhere in there. Um, 
And then, uh, you know, I've got one, two, three, four, five. I've got about six safeties that I think are, you know, are, are going to be, I feel good about saying they're going to be starters at the next level. You know, so I, I think the safety group's a little bit light compared to the corners. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate it. Yep. Next question comes from Joe Castro. Joe, you may ask your question. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Um, so I wanted to kind of circle back to the Philadelphia Eagles. I know you were talking about 30th pick having tremendous value. I want to talk about that 10th pick and what value you think that has uh, specifically to other teams. Are there any teams that you may think want to get into that top 10 pick? Uh, and if the Eagles maybe can get rid of that. Yeah, that's a good question. When you when you look at the draft order, I mean, it all comes down to quarterbacks. Usually that's where the trades take place. So um, it, you know, if one of those top four quarterbacks make it to 10 and then, um, you know, I guess you could always call the saints back and see if they want to dance again. If you're, if you'd be interested in that, I don't know, uh, try and see a team might want to come up for a quarterback there. Um, you know, maybe it's, you know, shoot, who knows? There's always a sneaky team that you got to keep an eye on quarterback wise. You know, maybe it's the Vikings who, you know, want to try and have somebody develop and, and be ready to go. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you'd, you'd be open to listen there if you're the Eagles. But if, if there's an edge rusher there that you have highly rated, as much as they value that position, um, you know, I, I would think they probably would stick and pick if that were the case. Next question comes from Ariana Pensy. Ariana, you may ask your question. Hi, Daniel. First, really appreciate your time. Second, I just wanted to ask for Clemson, you have Brian Rennie getting drafted 24th overall by Jacksonville. What led you to put him at 24th? And some other people have him going higher in the draft and even before Murphy. Yeah. Um, look, he's he's a, you know, I talked a little bit about it earlier. He's a little bit of a polarizing player. I'm a little bit lower on my top 50 on him than where I even had him going in the mock draft. So, you know, again, in terms of why I had him going to Jacksonville, I was looking at Jacksonville and, and just kind of looking at their ability to get after the quarterback. And I thought that there's some upside there uh, with some interior pass rush. And you look at Trent Balky is always like big guys. Um, so you have somebody that kind of fits their their frame and you go back to Justin Smith when he was with the 49ers um, at that point in time, you had Justin Smith and Alden Smith, and you could look at it and say, okay, well, you, you drafted Trayvon Walker. You're hoping he's going to be Alden Smith and maybe Brian Brzee, you're hoping he could be Justin Smith. So that was one of the reasons why, you know, I, I paired them up there, but again, I, I, he's, he's a guy that has a wide variance of where he could go. There's a wide range. There's some guys you look at him and say, well, I feel he's probably going to go in this, you know, three, four spots. He's got a very broad range of where he could go. I wouldn't be shocked if he went much higher or much lower. Next question comes from Bob. Ask me since Bob, you may ask your question. Thanks for doing this. Uh, you talked about Devin Witherspoon a little bit earlier, just kind of what do you think his upside could be? And also how much did he help himself this year? Yeah, he helped himself tremendously. He just played it at such a high level, and the tape is so fun to watch. Um, you know, I kind of go around – I talked about it a little bit, but Asante Samuel Jr., somebody who's maybe doesn't have that uh, elite, elite size but makes a ton of plays on the ball. I mean, I, I guess I should say Asante Samuel Sr. Do, I do the Charger game, so I see Jr. making a lot of plays, as he did in the, in the playoff game. Uh, but Witherspoon plays like the Samuel family, I guess I, I, I could say there. Um, but he's just an excellent ball hawk. Um, and, uh, it takes, you know, when you get guys that take the ball away and they don't get beat, 
sometimes you have to take one or the other. You know, there's there's corners in the NFL you'll see up there in the leaders with interceptions, but then there's also, you know, there's a lot of issues with them giving up points now too. They run up both sides of the scoreboard. He's able to make plays on the ball without giving up uh, giving up big plays. So uh, he was an easy one to like. And really, if you're you know stacking up players, I think he's one of the best players. I also think he's just one of the most fun players to watch because he plays with a good energy, a good competitiveness, and a good edge to him. Thank you. Yep. Next question comes from Dallas Robinson. Dallas, you may ask your question. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for the time. Um, you mentioned earlier that this year's quarterback class might not have a can't-miss prospect like Joe Burrow in 2020 or Trevor Lawrence in 2021. Um, but just from the depth of this year's class, how does it compare to those groups in 2020 when you had Burrow to uh, Herbert and Hurts and 2021 with Lawrence, Wilson, Lance, Fields, and Jones? How does this year's class stack up depth-wise? Yeah, I, I think that you look at the depth of a quarterback class by how many starters you can produce. Um, and, you know, like we have to wait three years at least, right, before we know. But I, I don't think that there's anybody like the the Lawrence or Burrow. But I do think, as I mentioned, I think there's five guys we could see starting, you know, being, you know, starting quarterbacks that are that, are, that you can win with that you're not you know, looking to get rid of or replace or, or draft over. I think there's there's five solid guys. And, you know, I'm, I'm putting Hooker into that group, um, provided, you know, everything comes back health-wise with him. I think he's got a chance to be a productive starting quarterback. And, um, you know, you put all those guys together, I think they all have questions. They all have flaws. There's no perfect prospect. But I think if you draft those guys, you're expecting those guys are going to be starting quarterbacks. Um, and if you get a draft that ends up with five starting quarterbacks, it's a, that's a pretty good, pretty good group and uh, pretty good depth. Thank you. Next question comes from Ian Roddy. Ian, you may ask your question. Hey DJ, thanks for sticking around this long. I'm sure your brain needs a break at this point. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you said that. I could do this all day, man. This is like, my 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 wife and my kids don't want to hear about these players that I've been watching for the last several months. So I fire away. No, we're willing to listen all you as long as you can go. Um, but uh, with with blue chip guys uh, from this year's class like Verse and Fashanu opting to stay in school, how's the league valuing picks in this year's draft versus next year's? Um, and then I also kind of wanted to know, separate from that entirely, is there you know, just about UCLA receiver, Jake Bobo, like, where do you see him getting drafted? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean, I think you always do a little bit of homework and teams do a deeper dive than, than I've done on next year's class. I just know I've seen, a you know, I've seen a couple of the quarterbacks that are really, really intriguing uh, for next year. And the two players just mentioned are outstanding. Um, you know, we've talked about the Georgia tight end. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be really, really good players in next year's draft class. Um, I think it wouldn't be surprised if you saw teams, especially if they have an aging quarterback or if they, uh, you know, don't have their quarterback, if they were trying to, you know, spin off picks and acquire some ammunition for next year's draft, I could, I could definitely see a team uh, thinking like that because of, of what's coming. You always have to keep an eye on that um, in terms of, uh, Bobo and what he is, you know, it's, it's whether or not he's going to be a receiver or a tight end. He's kind of a tweener, 6'4", 216 pounds, you know, as uh, you know, as a big slot or he's a flex tight end. Uh, I think he's got some, some polish to him. He can change tempo. He understands how to set up defenders. He, you know, I just don't know how much true burst there is, um, how dynamic he is to be able to, to stay out at wide receiver. I, I'd probably be leaning more towards trying to put a little weight on and, and moving him to tight end 
I know he'll block. You'll see it as a receiver. They do a lot of that push to crack where he comes down inside and he'll waylay some guys. So um, I love the toughness. It's just a matter of, again, finding out what exactly he is. Thank you. Yep. Next question comes from Elaine Pupar. Elaine, you may ask your question. Uh, hey, DJ. hey, DJ, thanks for giving us all this time. Much appreciated. Uh, my question pertains to the Dolphins, who didn't have a pick in the first round or the second round last year, don't have a first-round pick this year. And they wound up with Channing Tindall and Eric Izukama in the third and fourth round, and neither of them basically saw the field as rookies. And my question is whether that came as a surprise to you based on your evaluation last year and what you thought their ceiling might be uh, ultimately in the NFL. Yep, it was uh, Izukama, and what was the other one? Channing Tindall. Yep, I'm going to... Uh... Hold, bear with me for just one second because I've got all these, uh, all these current guys in my head. I'm curious to see where I had them here. Um, all right, let me go uh, by position. Start with the wide out. I had him as he was not in my uh, top 150, so I had him as a late guy. Um, you know, a lot of bubbles, a lot of 50-50 balls. I thought he was kind of a project in terms of of working with him and developing him. So I guess I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that he wasn't he wasn't playing there. And then it was Tyndall. Where was he at? Of Wisconsin, Georgia. Oh, Georgia. There we go. Oh yeah, the athletic athletic linebacker. Um, let me see where I had him. I'm always curious when you look back on this where you had guys and where they ended up getting picked. Uh, Tyndall. Okay, he was my 76 player. Um, didn't start their speed explosion thought the you know the FBI in terms of football intelligence seeing things clearly was a little bit of a question mark more see and go thought there was some stiffness in space I, I said he'd be an animal on special teams initially so I think both those guys you're probably looking at some development that needed to take place so uh, maybe not a shock that you didn't get as much out of them right away okay much appreciated thank you yep next question comes from jo Josh Rock Josh you may ask a question Hey, DJ, thanks for doing this. Um, with the Bears, obviously, there's a lot of talk about resetting the quarterback clock, and I wanted to get your evaluation of Bryce Young versus Justin Fields, both as a prospect and what we've seen from Fields after two seasons in two different offenses. Yeah, um, I had a higher, I have a higher grade on Bryce coming out than I did on Justin, but I don't think that Bryce is a great fit in Chicago. Um, and Justin, you know, obviously, I mean, I think the evaluation – is both easy and complicated. It's easy in that you can see the playmaking ability and what he's done with his legs and the competitiveness and the toughness. That's easy to see. And then it's, it's complicated because how do you evaluate him with, with what he's got, you know, with who he's working with. So I, to me, I, it, this is the only thing if, and, and knowing, and knowing the guys in Philadelphia and hearing over the last, since Jalen Hurts got in a league, hearing the work that he was putting in and hearing, you know, talking to coaches on that staff that said he would go down to the weight room on a Thursday night, nine o'clock, and he's he's there watching tape downs. Like he he just lived there. So when you when you know that the you know that he's got the ability and then you know the commitment and the work ethic is there, um, I think it makes it easy to believe in Jalen when he's and he's he's paid off. I don't, I don't have is, is the same relationships there in Chicago. I've never heard anything that would lead me to believe that Justin's not doing that. But if Justin's doing what he needs to be doing from that standpoint, I'd be like, oh, this guy's got so much ability and he's committed to it. Let's, uh, let's give him some help and let's try and build around him. Next question comes from Davis Potter. Davis, you may ask your question. 
Hey, Daniel. Um, of the Clemson players in this draft, who intrigues you the most? Maybe your top one or two guys. And then is Trenton Simpson a guy you think could work his way into the first round? Yeah, I mean, I was told that he, you know, he's going to put on a show. Um, oh, I think somebody's up. I think somebody's mic's up. There we go. I think that was Rich Eisen, though. Somebody's listening to Rich's show. I appreciate that. Keep it all in the family. Um, the, uh, you know, Trent Simpson is going to run. He's probably going to run in the four fours. He's going to jump out of the gym. It's, you know, I think he'll put on like a Devin White type workout show um, with him. Uh, you know, the the same thing that I was just talking about, uh, Tyndall, the linebacker from last year. It's just, you know, how well do you see things? Sometimes, you know, if you get clear sight lines, he can see it. He can go. You'll see that burst. He's off the edge. You'll see him blitz. You'll see him chase plays laterally. Um, he's just tremendous, tremendous juice. It's just sometimes, you know, in the trash in there, you kind of get lost a little bit amidst all those bodies. So um, that's the only knock on him. That's the only concern. But I would not be shocked at all if he went in the first round. Uh, I, I know one thing: if you want to, if you're in a division with an athletic quarterback, like if you were in the, uh, if you were in the NFC East with uh, with Jalen Hurts, and you want to have a, somebody that can play that role and be a spy and and be able to uh, to mirror and just close those alleys, this dude's unbelievable when he spies the quarterback. So, um, you know, that's uh, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see with him what happens. But I would not be shocked if he goes in the first round at all. In terms of other Clemson guys, I, I'm probably higher than most of the league on the tight end in Davis Allen. Uh, I was hoping to do a little bit more at the Senior Bowl than I saw there, but he's a smooth, easy mover. Um, he can, uh, you know, he flashes some power after the catch to run through guys. He's, uh, you know, he understands how to set up routes. He's, gosh, he's six five and a half, two hundred and forty six pounds. I think he's got the frame to get even bigger. So I'm a little bit higher on him than. Uh, than some buddies in the league. I thought he would be a day two guy. Some people in the league think he'll go day three. Um, and then KJ Henry's, uh, you know, I, I gave him a, a good grade. I wouldn't be surprised if he went in the second round. He destroys tight ends. The first play of the game against Georgia Tech, drills the quarterback, ball pops up, it gets picked. He can shoot gaps. I think he's instinctive. You know, you'll see him on the edge. He'll be able to see jet sweeps coming from the other side and be able to, to naturally just kind of widen out and make plays. Um, he's got a nice little counter rush. And and talking to Dabo about him, he loves him. You know, he's a he's a captain. He's graduated and and just uh, outstanding. Same said the same thing about the tight end too, as well as you know graduated captains. Um, so asking about those two kids before the Senior Bowl, it came back pretty positive. Next one comes from Nick Cothrell. Nick, you may ask a question. Hey DJ, thanks for taking the time. Um, for the Chargers' sake, how does the speed in this year's wide receiver class look? Um, guys that can get to the deep part of the field, something that the Chargers didn't have a whole lot of last year. And then for the uh, edge position in the mid-round, how, how, do, how does that group of guys, assuming that's kind of where the Chargers may target that position? Sure. Uh, there's flyers in this draft. You can get them. Um, you know, we talked about Hyatt early. Quentin Johnson can fly. Uh, he can really run. I know Nathaniel Dell is undersized. I mean, he's tiny. He's a little over. He's five eight and a half, one hundred sixty three pounds. But he's he's like Marquise Brown, like big time, big time juice and acceleration. He's got really good hands. He's a good player. Um, he can fly. Tyler Scott from Cincinnati, I think, is probably you know going to go on day two somewhere. He's vertical, can really go. Um, he can take the top off. 
Uh, Charlie Jones, I think you'll see run well from Purdue. Um, Marvin Mims, probably more you know mid four four type speed from Oklahoma, but a really good overall receiver, good route runner, and and can get vertical if if you need him to do that. So there's uh, there's going to be options throughout the draft if you want guys that can that can roll and get on top of uh, on top of coverage. And then in terms of the edge rushers. Uh, mid-round edge rushers you're asking about um, mentioned some of these guys but you know Andre Carter from from Army is is tall and long just needs to get physically stronger um, but you know he's kind of like Max Crosby light uh, there he's he's got that same you know height length type thing so he's he's an interesting one as, as a as a mid-round guy um, on a maybe not as big of a guy but Byron Young's got some real twitch and some juice from Tennessee double-digit sacks He's got quick feet. He can get off the ball. Um, he's just a little bit, a little bit tight and a little bit undersized. But uh, those are a couple names there that that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't sleep on. Another big guy would be Dylan Horton from TCU. So he's long, six, almost six four, two hundred sixty five pounds. Kind of reminds me of like a Charles Amenahu as a player. Just a few more here, DJ. Uh, next one comes from Ryan Mink. Ryan, you may ask your question. Yeah, thanks, DJ. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, in terms of the Ravens, obviously, everybody knows wide receiver is a huge need for them. Uh, it seems like there's not a consensus on on those first-round guys. Uh, you talked about Jordan Addison already, but who do you think is, is probably, you know, depending on where they all stack up, who's the best fit for the Ravens? Who do you think they would like? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say. A new offense coming in there to see, you know, what the fit looks like and, and how they want to set that up and incorporate it. But uh you know, I've always felt like with the run game that they have and, you know, whether how much of that run game you want Lamar to be, they should still be able when they when Lamar's out there, his mere presence will mean that they'll have a they'll have a good run game to go along with with Dobbins. So I think complementing that with speed is always the way to go where you can hit a slant and somebody can go. You just got to break one tackle where you can get on top of coverage because you've got flat safeties because they've got to come down and, and play the run. So I, I'm always going to lean towards guys that can really go. Um, Zay Flowers, as I mentioned, is an overall player I love, and uh, you know the suddenness there I think would be a uh, would be a fun player to match up in that offense. Next one comes from Andrew. Andrew, you may ask your question. Hey DJ, appreciate your time. Um, for the Tennessee Titans, you had them picking Paris Johnson in the first round. Let's just say hypothetically they address tackle and maybe wide out in free agency. Is there another player, I guess, position you could see them attacking with that first pick? Yeah, with the uh, you know, with Tennessee, right? So if if you're looking at them and looking at other positions, you know, they've got to get more explosive on offense. We're 28th in points per game. And we talked about the, uh, you know, the issues in pass protection there, just something to help the passing game. So, yeah, I look at, at wide receiver would be an area that I would look at there. It could make some sense. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, if not that, if you're not going offensive line, you're not going wide receiver, I'm going to try and trade back and, and see if you can't get some more value there. But they've got to do something to, to, to be a little better on offense. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Next one comes from John McCarron. John, you may ask your question. 
Thank you so much, Daniel. I appreciate your time. Thank you for staying this long. Um, you talked about Anthony Richardson possibly being gone before the Lions had a chance at number 18. If they do decide to potentially take a developmental quarterback, maybe later on in the draft, is there a prototypical, maybe potential backup that you could see as a developmental player that could fit the Lions? Maybe a Clayton Toon, Jake Hayner, that could sit behind Jared Goff and learn in, in later rounds? Yeah, I mean, I I think you uh, hit on a couple interesting ones. Um, I mentioned uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson a little bit earlier, who gives you a different skill set and a little more you know dynamic uh, presence there. Um, you know, Max Duggan is one we haven't talked about at all, but uh, you know, there's there's something there. I think when you look at at Max Duggan, you look at a guy that's that's played some football, that's competitive, that's tough. Um, you know, he he has kind of the uh, the, the the qualities of guys that have been day three guys that have got on the field. And I know Brock Purdy will be the one that, that people would talk about a lot, but with him and Hayner, I think those guys are kind of fit that they're they played a lot of football. They're tough. They're competitive. They're smart. Um, they've just find ways to make winning plays at, at, at the time. So I think those guys are, you know, going to be day three guys, but why not take a shot on one of those? Thank you. Appreciate it. Yep. And our final question comes from Bob McManaman. Bob, you may ask a question. Daniel, thanks again, man. Uh, I I know you talked about the trade charts for uh, quarterbacks um, at four and nine. What about at three? What's it look like if the Cardinals were to opt out of one of those defensive guys and say, take a deal from the Colts or the Panthers? Yeah, I mean, I have to go back through and look at some of those. I have to pull up the chart and go back and look at some of those previous trades. But we have had, gosh, the Jets um, was six to three for Darnold, right? If I'm remembering that correctly, I think I've got here. It is, yeah. They were so the Jets when they went from six to three, they also had to give up two second round picks um, in that draft, which were pick thirty seven and forty nine. So two good second round picks, and then a next year's second round pick. So if the Cardinals wanted to get out of there and maybe they only had to go back, a, you know, a few spots, um, you know, maybe a little bit further if they went back to nine, I guess you'd get even more than that. But you, if you're looking at going to nine, you're getting at minimum three second round picks. That's, uh, you know, that's pretty good, uh, pretty good value there. Again, it'll be more first rounder. Yeah, well, if you go to nine, you'll get a first rounder because that's the way the, the points would shake out. You're going to get a next gonna, year. Like you're, you'll get a next year's one. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks, brother. No problem. Thanks for listening to the Raiders Press Pass. For all things silver and black, download the Raiders app and visit Raiders.com. Hi, I'm Renee Summerauer, digital news anchor here at 7 at 7. Watch our streaming nonstop newscast immediately with your mobile phone. 7 at 7 is the new way for you to get every bit of local news you need in just seven minutes. Breaking news, local neighborhood news, weather, and sports are just a click away. Reporters bring you all of what's happening in the Valley. From Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, YouTube, and more get every bit of local news you need from the rjnlvrj.com.